available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead! Welcome, everybody, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 247 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 247 Sports Network. Together, Dave and I are the Podcast of Champions, talking Pac-12 football. Sounds like we're the only ones talking Pac-12 football, if you look at the uh, college football (laughs) playoff rankings. We'll get to all that. Um but yeah, we we love talking about college football. We love talking Pac-12 football. If you want to talk with us, you can tweet us. At Pac-12 Podcast is our Twitter. You can email us. and We get a bunch of emails every week. Pac-12 Podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a voicemail, 641-715-3900. That's the number. Use the extension 734-972. Uh, we're on iTunes. You can subscribe there. Please rate us. Give us a Give us a nice five-star Rating, Dave. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked. I know you look at this stuff. Did we get anything good lately? No, no, no reviews lately. We've dropped back down to oh. four and a half stars, um, which I think was a response to my uh, tweet when we got to sixty nine <laughs> reviews oh, uh, yeah. ratings, and I said nice, and we were also at five stars at that time. And I think I think some some we're of the haters up. out there want to humble us, but we're you know up. what? We refuse to be humbled. <laughs> all right. Way to screw we're the it up, best. Dave. We're the best damn <laughs> Pac-12 football podcast in the entire world. We are. We got to let people know, and that's very safe to say because we are the only one that we know of <laughs> in the entire world. Which maybe that tells you something. There were other ones. People have done it before. Maybe there's not a lot of interest. Now we've been lucky. Uh, thanks to all of you out there, we've seen uh, steadily increased interest, and this year is like blowing through all the numbers we ever had. Which is great. We love it, um, and we love you know we love doing this. So we'll, we're going to keep it going. We're keeping it rolling, Dave. We're we're keeping it moving. We promise this time for real. Yeah, not for fake. The whole off season, we're going to do them. We're going to do them the we, whole time. We promise. Um, well, okay. So we got a lot on the schedule today. Even though there's not you know games to preview, we have to go over nine Pac-12 teams made bowls. Coaching carousel stuff is going on. Um, we want to talk about the championship game first. We got to reveal our fo- uh, final power rankings heading into um, the uh, the bowl season. So we're gonna we'll talk about the championship game first, and then we'll kind of review uh, reveal our power rankings, and then each team will say a little something about. And there's you know some teams have a whole bunch of news, so uh, we'll kind of we'll kind of go with that. But Dave, I don't know. You know, the South has won. The South has risen. Um, the South the South has risen again. <laughs> my wife would and love it. it. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, I won't say it was the cleanest, most well-played, most well-officiated game in the entire world, but it actually ended up being kind of dramatic and fun. Uh, the fourth quarter was really back and forth, a lot of fun. Uh, USC won 31-28, um, and uh, yeah, USC finishes 11-2, and which is, I think by most people's definition, a, a, a good season. Yeah. It, what's uh, all right? Yeah, we'll talk about the game in just a second. I want okay. to hear this. Okay. What is the consensus among USC fans? Was this a good season? Yeah, uh, I think a lot of them think it is. Um, just a, 
many USC fans are are not happy the way they've won games. And I guess you could argue if you're looking at the, the playoff committee, the eye test, you know, they, they barely beat a lot of teams and, uh, but they were kept winning those games. So I think there's, yeah, maybe a little bit, maybe probably the majority of the fans are, are very happy with winning the PAC 12. The first time it's happened since 2008, but there's still a good chunk of fans that aren't really happy the way it was done missing out on the playoff, which I, you know, I don't think this is a top four team in the country, but um, to only be ranked number eight seems a little bit low and not, not great for the pack for the pack 12. But um, I think it's fairly split day, but I, I would say the majority are, are pretty happy with, uh, you know, winning the conference. I, you know, Stanford's always been a tough out for USC. So being able to beat them twice in one year is, uh, you know, I think satisfying for fans and, um, you know, you got you got the, the South hadn't won the Pac-12 championship game yet, so you just had to do that. Like you can worry about playoff and all those kind of stuff later on. I think this year, just winning the Pac-12 was a, a really good step for Clay Helton and USC. Yeah, for sure. And so um, to this game itself, I actually, I a lot of people are talking about how well played it was for both teams, and to an extent, I didn't think this was the best showing for really either team that we've seen this year. Um, I thought Stanford played reasonably well i thought usc played reasonably well and it was a close competitive game so not too much to complain about a lot of people are going to devote some attention to the david shaw decision to go for it on fourth and one i think or i I don't even know if it was a full yard was it i think it was like a full half yard or three quarters of a yard at that point Uh um and so there were a couple things going on in that play. Um, they'd just gotten stuffed, like, running the exact same play on third and one, so there's a complaint there. Um, the ball carrier, Cameron Scarlett, was pretty clearly still fighting to move forward and hadn't yet gone down when they whistled the play dead, which that's a judgment call, and, I, I you know, it's not good officiating, but that kind of stuff will happen from time to time. Um you ideally wouldn't love them to whistle a play dead in that situation that the guy's not on the ground, but you know, weird things happen when you've got the Pac-12 refs. Um, but the decision itself, um, I so I'm usually pretty prone to wanting teams to go for it all the time on fourth down. Um, in that situation, uh, they were down three points, um, and it was about eight minutes to go in the game, and. Um, the goal line is one of those areas where your fourth down, deci- your fourth and short decision making actually gets affected by the compression of the field, um, because you don't have all of those explosive plays available to you. Um, all the different things that you can do when you're, say, calling a play fourth and short at midfield, uh, the percentage actually goes down a little bit on your conversion odds. So, uh, it was kind of iffy to me. I mean, I think it's fifty-fifty, uh, much more so than most fourth and ones. I think most fourth and ones you are generally going to want to go for it pretty much everywhere else on the field. But in that time and situation, it's just so weird because we expect David Shaw to be such a conservative guy. And that was an area where I was like, eh, maybe not David Shaw, maybe not go for this fourth down right here. I didn't, you ha- think? I didn't have an issue with it. Um, and I think, you know, they had a lot of success with that offensive line, you know, getting some penetrate, you know, pushing the, you know, the line, you know, onto the USC side of the field just he had a couple guys make some really good plays in the backfield. And, you know, it, that, that happens sometimes. They had seven plays from, I believe it was seven, from like starting at the three-yard line and weren't able to get in. So I, I think if you're you're David Shaw and you want to try that and you're like, hey, man, if we, if we can't get in from the three or from the one or wherever, um, take you know tip your cap to the other side. So I, I didn't have an issue with it. Um, and I, I felt like if they could have scored there too, 
Now, USC came back and scored on a 99-yard drive right after that. Um, it was kind of like those the end of the game, like the USC offense kind of turns on, you know, gets back into the yeah. mode of like, hey, we got to score. So maybe you're thinking that. I don't know, but I, I didn't have too much of an issue with it. Yeah, I guess that I guess that makes yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say it was a, it was a horrible decision. I, I think I would have liked a different call, um, but whatever. I guess if you're Stanford, you're thinking you can power it in from there, so whatever. It, it's tough, you uh, know, Bryce Love had to come off the field at that point, too, so it's like maybe that impacts your decision. I don't know. And so, and then the, the other, like, kind of main complaint I had with Stanford, and we'll get to talking about USC. We're going to do a lot of talking about USC on this podcast, but the other complaint I had with Stanford um, – David Shaw's got to start trusting KJ Costello pretty soon. Um, they only threw the ball 22 times in this one, and yeah, he only completed 10 of those 22. But it, he was he was so effective throwing downfield to his big receivers against USC's secondary. I would have liked to have seen at least like th- four or five more shots downfield sure. in this one. I, I thought they just uh, didn't do enough with a guy who's clearly better and more equipped to throw downfield than Keller Christ. Um, and I, I thought that was maybe a little bit of a mistake. You've got to give a lot of credit to Bryce Love for being super gutty as well. Um, USC, like you said, uh, their offense tends to turn it on at the end of games. Um, and I thought Sam Darnold, um, he had that one throw that should have been picked by Stanford. But otherwise, I thought this was one of his sharper performances of the season. Um, he seemed to be really playing at a high level. He seems to have found a real connection with Michael Pittman, um, who had, yeah, wow. Michael Pittman had seven catches for 146 yards. Yeah, it was a Pac-12 um, uh, championship game record. Yeah, that doesn't suck. Um, oh. So all of that all of that was uh, was cool to see. It's cool to see Darnold um you know, start to turn it on here at the end of the year. So what are you hearing on his NFL chances? Um, it's kind of 50-50 from what I'm hearing, but it seems like a lot of people are thinking he's going to come back. He's not the most, like, mature guy as far as, like, I, I mean, as far as, like, you know, hey, he's a grown-up. He's, he's still kind of a kid, you know, so that might play something into it. Uh, but he was. I thought this was one of his better games, 13 and a half yards per attempt um i think that's the best of his career or, or what the second best or something i mean that was that was pretty good um you know i thought i thought he played well ronald jones uh of course michael Pittman had the breakout the really interesting thing on the fumbles and you're like a math guy when this kind of stuff happens usc had one fumble by stephen carr and lost it stanford had four fumbles and didn't lose any of them um plus there was uh a fumble that it was ruled a fumble that USC recovered, but then it was the the quarterback, you know, Costello's arm was coming forward, mm-hmm. and then the Bryce Love one where they scored in the first uh, the first quarter, I believe. They looked like he fumbled, but they blow they blew the play of the dead. Um, so that would have been another recovery. So there's two fumbles that USC recovered, but they neither of them counted. The other four fumbles, USC didn't get on any of those. So those are one of those those hidden kind of things. Like one or two of those go the other way, and you might have a different kind of game, but. Um, what, yeah, what are, like fumbles are kind of luck, right? That's they're supposed to, so the theory is every fumble is about 50, 50, which team recovers it. Okay. Like there's not a whole lot else to it. Um, I think if you got into like forced versus unforced fumbles, like those plays where Darnold was just dropping the ball earlier in the year, like, I think those are much more likely for him to recover usually okay. because it's unpressured. Um, but like a forced fumble situation, I think it's supposed to be very close to 50-50 who recovers it. Gotcha. So so to only 
So to only essential, so basically to go 0 for 5 on fumbles uh, is horribly unlucky for USC in this game. So they beat some luck to to win this by three points. Um, usually when you've when you have that kind of uh, uh, unluckiness on on fumbles, you're not going to do so well. The uh, the other thing was the the, the Pac-12 refs were on full display. I think you mentioned. Oh a my goodness! Bit. Uh, Stanford had seven penalties for 73 yards. USC nine for 76. Um, I think the middle of the first quarter, there was like 95 yards in penalty. I mean, some, it was like just right out of the gate, it was bad. And I was watching the next morning because I was up, you know, in the Bay Area, Oklahoma TCU in the Big 12 title yeah. game, and it was like the middle of the second quarter, and there was like a face mask, and like, oh, that's the first penalty of the game. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> like the game we just watched, it's it was bad, and and like you said, there were there were bad calls too, where players weren't down, being ruled dead, and on like turnovers that led the point that could have led the points one way or the other. It's just it, it was just bad. Yeah, I'm trying to think who's a good crew in the Pac-12 because Mothershed he gets a lot of these higher profile games, and I've never seen him call a, a really good game. Like not that I can remember, and I, I sort of pay attention to the refs. Um, like Land Clark, do you think his crew? Yeah, is... he's the one with the guns, right? Like he's yeah, got he's... some biceps and maybe a he little bit. He seems like at least confident, you know. Like he's he seems like I I don't know. I mean, I I just just every time someone comes up, they're just pretty bad. But um, he seems I, okay. Yeah, I yeah. thought he'd be okay, but it just it's just so. And you have you know uh, Dave Hirsch was there, the VP of marketing, who kind of sends us all those emails. You had Larry Scott there. They're all watching this stuff and. I mean, you got to compare it to the other championship games. If you watch any other ones, none of them were like that. I don't think any of them watch football. I, I, I really don't. <laughs> I, I don't think any of them watch football. I don't think any of them know what they're looking at. Because you couldn't let this problem go on for that long and not be frustrated by what you're watching if you actually paid attention to the game being played in other leagues. I, I just it's it's hard for me to fathom that. Now that being said, I thought I think it was the Big Ten game. I might be getting them all mixed up. This is like the first weekend where I actually watched stuff, stuff besides the Pac-12. Um, but I think it was Ohio State Wisconsin. That was also a horribly over officiated game. Um, they must have called like three or four times for guys not having or having too many guys in the backfield. Which is such a like a weird like stupid procedural call when it's just a guy not like taking half a step forward like a receiver and then he's covered up or some nonsense and it's just like this isn't this isn't dance i mean who cares if this guy's (laughs) foot is half a step forward or half a step back i just that that that's the kind of stuff that frustrates me like the when they get and this is what actually happens at the pac-12 too it's not even the egregiously wrong calls it's the over officiating like Okay, that holding call, yeah, you can call that, but you could call it like ten other times in this game. Don't I mean and they probably will, but like it just completely ruins the flow of the game when you're calling it when yeah, he grabbed him for half a second before he let go because there was a big shift in direction behind him. Like it just I don't know. There it, it just seems like, you know, it's just bad across the board and um again, no way of fixing it. <laughs> It's you would hope there's some sort of way of fixing no, it. But, no, 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 not with not with the present administration. I'm I'm firmly convinced that they're not going to fix any of these things, and the Pac-12 just continue to have bad officiating because they've had it since. I mean, the Pac the Pac-10 was horrible. Like Tom oh, yeah. Hansen, I mean, the, the officiating has been historically bad for 
at least 15 years since I've been really paying attention to it. It's uh, it's bad. And I, I think it's just, you know, people think, oh, they're against our team or whatever. I just think it's general incompetence. I think Dave and I have talked about this a lot. And just so you don't have people that are in the right spots a lot of the times. You just have people that are throwing flags, like way too many flags. And it's just, it's over-officiated, like Dave said. Um, big, big calls are, are really screwed up. And it's very impactful to games. So, you know, Pac-12 is not helping each, you know, helping itself out with schedules. It's not helping itself out with refs. Um, you got something got to be cleaned up, Dave. I don't know if it's going to happen, but we got we got to try to make this happen. Yep, we got to do it. So, and all right. So USC wins. Are we going to go over their bowl game in our countdown? Yeah, let's do the. So, yeah, is there anything else in the game you wanted to talk about, or any other? Um. No, I mean, I would say um, it kind of returned. Uh, it, I mean, it kind of went to form with the Pac-12 scheduling this year, where Stanford is yet another team playing a Friday game on short rest and losing. Yeah, a pseudo pseudo not road game, but pseudo neutral yeah. site game for Stanford, I suppose. It certainly it certainly sounded like there were a lot more USC fans there than Stanford fans. Was that correct? Yeah, there was more USC fans, and you know, to be fair, you like I know Stanford's. 12 miles away, but USC knew for like a couple of weeks at least. So right. more people could plan, but you, you could Uber to the game if you, if you live like in Palo Alto yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was definitely more USC people uh, there, which kind of, you know, it's not surprising, but you'd like to see a little bit more, but you, I mean, you're right with the short rest. Um, I don't know if it affected the team all that much, but it was nice that they didn't have to travel. It really, I mean, really would have been a disadvantage if Washington State had won the Apple Cup because that's like, oh yeah. I mean, geez, would that have been a bad bad deal for them? Yeah, and this one, I, I wouldn't say it affected them over much, but I think Bryce Love by the end of this game was wearing down so much. I don't know if an extra day of treatment would have helped him too much, but I think it would have helped him a little bit. I mean, by the end of the game, on that final drive for Stanford, he couldn't even hold on to the ball. His ankle was in so much pain. Yeah. Like, think about that as a running back where you, you can't even grip with your hand because you're experiencing so much pain in your ankle. <laughs> like, he was getting the ball stripped on basically every play. Um, and, you know, again, if they go to Cameron Scarlett earlier on that drive, maybe, you know, something happens a little bit differently for them. But, um yeah, I mean it was it was a good game. I enjoyed watching it. Um, I just didn't think it was super clean. Not, you know, not the most well played showcase, and not the well, and certainly not the most well officiated showcase. The uh, a shout out a couple guys. Um, so Harrison Phillips for Stanford had thirteen tackles, which is pretty good. Uh, Chris, <laughs> Chris Hawkins did too. Um, he Chris Hawkins the safety actually played really well. He had some hits in the backfield. He had two two tackles for loss. Um, but yeah, a lot, I thought that, you know, defenses were, were playing pretty well, uh, stopping the run. Um, you know, Bryce Love got, you know, 22 carries for 131 yards. You know, it's good, but it's not like Bryce Love kind of things. And Scarlett only had seven for 21. So I think they needed Scarlett to do a little bit more. Uh, it would have helped, but it was pretty much when Love was in there, he was effective, but he just wasn't going to, you know, he had one, you know, uh, 52 yard run, but not a whole lot like big after that. And Ronald Jones had 30 carries. So that was a career high for him. Uh, 141, 140 yards. So um, pretty big night for them. Pittman, we talked about, uh, you know, uh, Whiteside, you know, uh, was it Arcega Whiteside? That's that's right, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. Um, he only had two catches, but 87 yards. Uh, 
Smith had uh, 80 yards on, on two catches and two touchdowns. I mean, four catches and two touchdowns. I thought the big receivers and tight ends for Stanford were playing well. They just needed to to throw those guys the, the ball a little bit more. You know, there was only, you know, 10 catches among them. Trent Irwin only had one catch. You know, it's like, I, I thought they could have pushed that narrative a little bit more like you were talking about. Yeah, I was kind of surprised they didn't. Um, I think some of it was USC's pass rush. Um, I don't know what the sack numbers ended up being for USC. Do you have that in front of you? Let me see. Hold on. It was. Yeah, USC actually led the nation in sacks. So let me see. Where's. Uh, I'm not seeing it on this sheet. I got my sheet from the press box here. Uh, Sacks are one of those numbers that they don't keep in easy statistics. You have to look it up in the team box score. Um, But whatever the case, uh, they were putting a ton of pressure on Costello, especially early on. Like not, he just didn't have a ton of time to throw. And I think Stanford started to shore up its offensive line a little bit more late. Um, But I think that might've spooked David Shaw a little bit. Um, they stopped doing as many kind of deep drop big throws. Yeah. And I just thought they could have gone to that well a few more times because, I mean, Biggie Marshall had like one or two good plays, but for the most part, those Stanford receivers were playing out of their minds. They're big and strong and physical, and the USC secondary isn't super big. Um, like Jack Jones is a guy you can pick on in – you know, a situation where you've got a, you know, a six, four, six, five tight end. Uh, and Stanford basically plays like three or four, six, three ish, six, four ish big dudes at receiver. So yeah, I just thought they could have gone to that a little bit more, but who knows what, if it would have changed it too much. I think next year, um, uh, David Shaw has to go in with the understanding, especially if Bryce Love leaves and we'll see if that ends up happening. But um, he has to go into the season understanding that Costello's, a whole lot better than Keller Chris, and he can game plan a little bit differently with him at quarterback. Yeah, USC ended up with two sacks, uh, one from Nwusu and one from Rasheem Green. Stanford ended up getting one. Um, and yeah, I, when Costello, Costello threw some really nice deep balls, and sometimes they were contended, you know, there were, and still receivers would make great catches. Like, to have only 10 completions looking back, like, man, but I, I mean, you can remember most of them, like, man, that was a really good play, you know? So yeah. you felt like they could have had a few more, a few more of those. Yeah, and he even like I think he hurt the base of his thumb at some point, um, got that dinged up, um, and they were actually thinking of putting Keller Christ into the game, but then he came in and actually had that that final I think it was that final drive where they got stopped at the one. Uh, oh no, it was the final touchdown drive. He came in and just let him promptly downfield, ninety yard drive, um, throwing the ball, you know, pretty excess, uh, pretty. Uh, well on that drive so yeah uh, you know that's a championship game so that was uh and just the for the record uh, it was a three-point spread we both picked stanford to cover and moved to four later in the week so if we would have got that fourth point we would have covered but it was a three-point game so dave and i end up pushing uh and i predicted 20 30 to 28 so i was off by one point that's pretty good that's yeah. pretty good that's why you pay us the big bucks here you don't you don't pay us anything no you pay nothing um, well, okay. So we want to talk about each team. So we thought we would go down our final power rankings. Well, not fi- final before, you know, until the Bulls, uh, power rankings. Are we going to update the power rankings as the Bulls are going on or just wait till the end? Probably wait till the end. Huh? I think we just wait till the end. Okay. I think it's silly to update as we go. Okay. So we're going to count down and there's, I think there's pretty much news on every team or, you know, we'll, we'll make something we'll up. We'll make something not, up. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so um, a little bit of an upset. Our number 12 team. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> we're, we're kidding. Kind of. We are kidding, That's, but I do want to talk about them right here. You want to talk about them right now? I have to. Okay. I have to. I, I've got to get Herm Edwards <laughs> off my chest. I've got to do it. Should we save Herm Edwards for next podcast? No, no. <laughs> Arizona State uh, fired Todd Graham and paid him $12 million to keep the exact same staff intact and replace Graham with Herm Edwards, mm. who has been out of coaching entirely for 10 years and hasn't coached in college in approximately 30 years. This is the worst hire I can remember <laughs> since UCLA hired Carl Durrell or since Washington State hired Paul Wolf. Thoughts? Um, so he hasn't coached for 10 months, right? Not 10 years. <clears throat> 10, 10 years. years. He was, a, he was a, youth, a youthful man of 53 when he last coached a football game. He is now 63. Wow. Well, okay, so for to be fair, Todd Graham, they were picked to finish, I think, fifth in the conference, so they didn't finish that well, right, like in, in the South? <clears throat> in point of fact, Ryan, they finished second in a year where they were expected to not contend at all. Well, so that's actually pretty good. Well, hmm, okay. This is <laughs> did, they, did they not have any wins over teams that are going to New Year's Six Bowl games? No, actually, I, I, if I remember right, they beat Washington. Um, that's that's right. That's yeah. right. And wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> they must not return a lot of guys. This must have no, been I like think... peak year for them. They must not return anybody next a year. Lot of, a lot of young guys on this team, Dave. And they, huh. they, well, you know, when you lose well, to your well, rival. Well, is, there, is the quarterback leaving? Because like, you know that can set a team back. Is the quarterback leaving? I'm pretty sure he's, he's back. But, dude, oh. if you lose to your rival, this is what happens. But, but Ryan, <laughs> I have a little bit of news for you there. Uh, they they won the territorial cup this year. Oh, that's the, that's the rivalry one, like against Arizona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Arizona's not that good, right? They didn't have anybody like that would be hard to stop or something. Interesting, you might say that they had a, a player that very few teams have stopped this year, uh, Khalil Tate, who may or may not be in some sort of like tangential Heisman conversation. <laughs> So, okay, we didn't uh, rehearse that at all, but that's just how ridiculous <laughs> all of this is. Well, and, and uh, that that just gets to the, like, higher part, but we're not even talking about what was said at the news conference today. <laughs> all right, so um, our dude, uh, Herm Edwards, was hired, and they had an insane press conference today where at one point it did not seem clear that he even knew what the ASU mascot was. Um Hod Rabino from Devil's Digest asks him a question, and in these press conferences, you have to identify what publication you write for. And he said, "I, I Hod Rabino, Devil's Digest." And Herb Edwards, kind of taken aback, says, <laughs> "Devil's Digest, where are you from?" And he says, "Oh, right here in Tempe." And he's like, "Devils, I, I'm a Catholic, uh, you know, can't and something something." But it was like very unclear that he understood what the reference to devils was in in the title of of the of of the website that he wrote for. Do you, I mean that was insane? That was crazy. You uh, what? And then the press. Re- I mean, I, I'm sorry this conversation is disorganized, but it's just coming at me like all the the craziness of this coaching search. 
that press release they released yesterday, I don't know how many of you out there saw it, but it sounded like, I mean, it sounded like the entirety of ASU football was signing up for a multi-level marketing scheme. Yeah. Like, it sounded like a pyramid scheme, or like they were all signing up for Scientology, or just, it was bonkers. So just, and we didn't even get to like the, like, there's so many crazy things, which is why we both feel like exactly the same way. We think this is a horrific hire, like one of the worst ever. Ray Anderson, who is the athletic director, um, is was a former agent. He was Herm Edwards' agent. Like, so yeah, he was his agent, and he put and then someone. It's people were tweeting me. I like to block someone. Like these people that are just like there are a couple of people arguing. Most people are like, "This is insane," and and they're like, "Well, it's not like her was just kind of walking around doing nothing." I'm like, "No, it, it kind of exactly was that he was walking around doing nothing, and his old agent calls him <laughs> to be the head coach somewhere that he hasn't. It's 28 years since he was a coach in college." And I think Bruce tweeted something about like all the stuff that was going on the last time Herman Edwards coached in college. The last time he coached, I don't think Twitter existed. Like coached anything. I know you call the, you, they call you coach the, on TV, but he's not coaching anybody. He's an he's a talking head on television for the last decade. The iPad didn't exist. Like uh, <laughs> so many things didn't exist. I mean, I, his it, agents hired him. <laughs> oh my god! So I mean. There was a there was a point in the like press conference where Ray Anderson is going to introduce Herm Edwards' agent, which is crazy. Like crazy that an agent would ever talk at a press conference. It's crazy. Yeah. But I thought it would have been perfect if he went to hand it with his right hand and then just grabbed it back with his left hand and just started talking as his agent at that point. Like that would have been peak uh, perfection for this for this coaching search because he basically just acted as his agent again he went out and got this guy a job who hasn't had a coaching job in 10 years for good reason he was a bad coach he was under he was 500 like, as a as a head coach like well under 500 like 20 games under 500 under 500 like this guy is bad bad coach haven't uh, and uh, like the whole contention that he's going to connect with recruits in living rooms that means that these guys have no idea what recruiting entails. No. Like the level of organization no idea. you need. Sixteen year olds have no idea who Herm Edwards is. They don't watch oh Sports Center and like if it's not on their phone, they might have seen a meme on Twitter, like you play to win the game or you know, any of those, but like they don't know who Herm Edwards is. Parents have, do, so maybe that'll help, but man, the, the kids don't know. You know how like we all have teams that we sympathy root for in the Pac-12, either because we know people that we went there or whatever. Like we've all got our secondary teams that we like. You know, if if your team's not playing, you'll you'll root for them or whatever. I have no connection with ASU, none whatsoever. I don't care. This whole thing makes me feel so bad for Sun Devils oh. fans. It's just so rotten that their AD is just unilaterally making the craziest, weirdest worst hire i've seen in like almost a, whenever paul wolf was hired at washington state and even that one was defensible at the time i mean to a, to a greater extent than this at least it was like a guy like who had been coaching recently this yeah. is this, this is, is absurd you're, you're out of the game and so we need to have um our buddy chris cartman come on 
yeah. um, and, and kind of talk about this more. We certainly need that. So I, just to get a background, because they have, so their president, Dr. Michael Crow, he also spoke via video chat, which was weird. He was like looking like for his earpiece and all that. I mean, they're just, it just was kind of strange, but he's like changed. He basically is talking about, uh, a differentiated model of how athletics is run. So he's really like, he has some kind of vision and I guess Ray Anderson shares that or they're doing it together. I, I'd love to get the background on where, where it all comes from, but he was talking about, we don't like the way, you know, everything is run. We're going to do it. This it's supposed to be more like this NFL model, um, which, you know, if you read that statement, it's like the Six Sigma corporation jargon <laughs> yeah, bullshit. Yeah. And you're like, what the what the hell is all that stuff? Um, so that was weird, like seeing the, the president on like a video chat or like he Skyped in or something. And then uh, so his current agent, it's Phil Despachado or something like that. I don't know. Um, it, that just, sounds good. It, it's something like that. But so he was there and it's like, when have you done that? Like you've hired Chip Kelly. We're going to let his agent tell you why. He was a great hire. It's like, it's like having, you know, you know, uh, you guys don't think I'm good. I'm going to have my mother come up here and talk to you about how great I am. You know, it's like, what, what is that? Like, here's, this will convince you. His agent knows everything good about Herman. My thing is they had, um, they clearly didn't do a search at all. Right. And he clearly, if he fired Graham and didn't do a search, he had an idea. He wanted to hire Herm Edwards long before he decided to fire Graham because he said he wanted to keep the assistant. Like, so that, that was, he knew what he wanted to do, bring in a guy that doesn't have any ties to anybody because he's been a talking head for 10 years. So my point is, if you had that much lead time, how is this the way you roll out the communication? How is that the press release, that insane press release that said nothing, except we're, we have no idea what we're talking about, so we're going to throw out a lot of jargon, and then have that press conference where you have the agent speak, and you've got Michael Crow coming in on Skype or whatever. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> crazy. How do you look that – like, it's one thing to hire Herm Edwards – it's another thing to look like an absolute joke while you're hiring Herm Edwards. You know, if you if you search through like the you know, the dustbin and you go through twelve different coaches and you don't hire any of them and then you end up with Herm Edwards, but then you communicate it well and you talk about how you're gonna hold yourself to a higher standard and all this other stuff, fine. But to do it in this kind of ham fisted way where you're not even admitting the fact that this was your only guy that you interviewed at any point and there was no real search and you let his agent talk and you basically you know pitch beach body workouts in the press release i mean it's just it's crazy it's bonkers i thought so this this cycle ucla we talked about home run you know and i thought that chip kelly at asu would be a great fit if if the timing was going to work out better or whatever um ucla just crushed the search so they they got him but then you're like, hey, Kevin Sublin coming in there, he's already recruited that area well. Like he would like I think he could keep a lot of the best players in Arizona there and go to Southern California and get I thought he'd be good. And maybe not everyone agrees with me, but that would be like a really cool thing. And it just didn't look like they even looked at it. Like you said, they were like they came up with this plan. And I think I tweeted something like, you know, everyone's got these, you know, crazy ideas in a basement. You know, Microsoft Bill Gates creating Microsoft, like if you would have told you what he was going to do you'd say like this guy's a lunatic and then he's like you know richest guy in the world sometimes crazy ideas are just freaking crazy ideas and this one seems to me just like it's crazy like i I, it's you know give yourself a pat on the back for like trying to do something different you know out of the box you're trying to do 
Saber Met, whatever it is. What's the uh, what's the what the Oakland A's do? What do they call that? Like uh, Saber Metrics. Yeah, Saber Metrics. I, 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 that's what I thought. No, I, I, yeah. Then you doubted yourself. Never doubt yourself. Don't doubt yourself. Be, like, be more like Ray Anderson. Never yes. doubt yourself. So, like, if you think you're coming up with the new greatest formula and all that stuff, like, hey man, props for like trying something. It's, sometimes you can look at it and go, you know, that could work. I just haven't seen a lot of people go, Dave. You know what? This this is something that everyone might be doing soon. Like, and you know, if we're wrong, we're wrong, and we'll like we'll say Ray Anderson, you're a freaking genius. But at this point, it just does not look like it's going to go that way. If if we're wrong, it'll go against every like like little bit of like rational thought in the college football world because nobody likes this hire. Nobody. Um, he, he had a quote today, Herm Edwards. We don't huddle anymore in our society. That's the problem with it, to be honest. What does that mean? <laughs> well, you know, like if you're going to the grocery store and like your wife's uh, in aisle six getting broccoli and you're you're picking up some rice-a-roni, you need to huddle up. And like, because otherwise it's not very efficient and uh, just got to huddle up sometimes and like figure out what you're going to do. You know, when you're over at getting the broccoli, make sure you, you pick up some eggplant, you know, don't, you know, so... Maybe that's are it. They, are they gonna are they gonna try to be Stanford in the desert? Is that what's gonna happen here? Like Stanford, how? Like you mean like like? like uh, are they, are they, no, I'm I'm gonna try to take what he's saying somewhat literally. Are they going to try to be a like a, a slow tempo like power offense in the uh, desert? That may be. You know, like I, he's he's an old school guy. I think he's probably gonna wanna he's gonna look at that. What do you what? No, no, we're not doing that. Uh, I you know. But then you're like, well, why do you bring in these coordinators, or why do you keep in the coordinators that are running, right. not running that style of play? I, ah. I, I, this is going to be such a massive failure, and I feel so bad for for all ASU fans. And it's they, you know, I have, they did not deserve this. They were on their way to like a nine and three, ten and two year next year because they're returning a bunch of guys. They built some momentum this year, and now, I mean, I'd be stunned if they end up at that level, even though the talent's there. <sighs> Ugh, this is going to be Co- a train wreck. I, I think so too. Coaching changes, like we've seen things happen where guys get excited. Um, I, I just don't know. I mean, there's so, it's such a day to day grind that you got to do. Um, you know, he was talking about, you know, he coaches like the, the Under Armour Bowl and stuff. And uh, I think he was telling like Jameis Winston, throw it to, uh, I forget what, Calvin Ridley or something. Like, yeah, you just throw it to him and we'll be good. And he goes, we scored 40 points. It was great. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's going to work at ASU. You're like, uh, Manny Wilkins, you just throw it to uh, Nikhil Harry every time. And that, you know, it's like, that's your plan. I don't think that's going to be, uh, be all that successful. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But so, it's like, look, we want to, if you're an Arizona State fan, we would love to hear from you. We're going to get uh, Chris on. And Chris is usually really level headed about this kind of stuff. I know he can't just come out and like. I'm, I'm trying to think like if USC hired a guy like that, I would. I'm sure I would like crush it. But you have to look for some sort of positive too. So I'm sure there'll be some like. Well, hey, here's how it, maybe it could work. We got to hear that. I just haven't heard any of that, Dave. No, all he did on Twitter, besides rip on him, was compliment his sock game. So I guess he did find the positive. There you go. Uh, Herm Edwards did wear some flashy socks. I okay. like them. They're blue. Um. That's yeah. about all. That's that's got, that's okay. all I got. Okay, so we don't have Arizona State as the number twelve team. That was a little bit of a joke. We're projecting though for the next however many years he's there <laughs> that they will be 
Um, it's a self-imposed bull ban. Yes. That's all this is. <laughs> but our, um, it's, it's, you know, there's no surprise here. Our number 12 team. Oregon State Beavers. Oregon State hired a coach. Woohoo! And seems like a pretty good coach. Some guy named Jonathan Smith. The yeah. most like generic possible name. Uh, obviously, the the former Washington offensive coordinator, former Oregon State player, um, is coming home. Uh, young guy, 37, 38? I think so, yeah. Like yeah, 38 years old. Um, coming to Oregon State. Uh, I've got some thoughts on this hire. What did you think? Uh, no, I thought, I mean, I kind of would have liked just like a, a change in philosophy, like to kind of break away a change. Of, like we talked about running a different offense. Like if you want to go get like a Navy guy or something, I thought the, those would be really sort of interesting. And then it's some, I think some other kind of big names sort of, um, you know, maybe a Lane Kiffin or something like a more of a name out there. There was a couple that were kind of floated around. You thought you might go that direction. Um, you know, this it's, I like you bring back somebody who gets the culture and, and played there and someone that understands it. So I, I guess that's a little bit, you know, that's something different where you, you're getting like an Oregon state guy, but it's like, uh, are you going to be able to do like what Washington does better or what any of those other schools? It's, it's going to be like, okay, you're going to do what most of these other schools already do, which you already know is kind of hard. Um, but I watched his press conference. I think some people were concerned how he would, handle it and uh you know and, but he seemed he seemed really competent you know and um i liked what he was saying I, you know uh I, not too much like sort of coach speak there's some but you know i from what just from the outside dave i i think it's 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 good i think it you know they could have certainly done worse um i get the philosophy of what you're trying to do um if you could have gone out and got a name or and and something that changes and you're a different wrinkle than everybody else in the pac-12 i probably would have preferred that but getting someone that's a, a former beeve i think is is a good thing yeah I, I i was initially a little bit more down on it than i am now mostly because of how bad the searches have gone in other places i mean this is <laughs> this is a coordinator who i don't know if he was super coveted as a head coach but he was certainly going to start getting some looks here pretty soon um so they're getting a guy who's potentially an up-and-comer my one concern is basically what you just said that his offense isn't a differentiator. Um, it's, I think it's basically what everyone's running, you know, a mix of spread and pro style and, and just kind of doing the same stuff. And at Oregon state, you're not going to get the players that Washington gets. And you're certainly not going to get the players that the LA schools get. And you're probably not going to get the players that Arizona state gets. And you're probably not going to get the players the Bay area schools get. You're probably on par with like Washington state, Maybe Arizona, but even Arizona, I think, is probably recruiting at a slightly higher level. Um, maybe Utah, maybe. Um, but you're not, I mean, you're not really competing with the rest of the conference in terms of talent. So you have to have differentiators. Um, and I think this, maybe, I mean, he's a young guy. He's, he's 38. Maybe he develops into that guy. Maybe I'm misreading him. Maybe it was a lot more Peterson. Um, up at Washington doing the offense and, and and Jonathan Smith has you know a whole new bag of tricks that he's ready to display at Oregon State. I would have just liked to see something that's different, like bring a full air raid to Oregon State or bring a triple option to Oregon State or just bring something funky that's going to differentiate them and make them something difficult to prepare for every week. Um, and maybe that's an overcorrection. I mean, they're not too far 
past Mike Riley, you know, running mostly a pro style scheme and, and getting them to nine wins. But um, I just think maybe those days are past a little bit and they should try for something that could actually, you know, I don't think Oregon state's ever, uh, I think in the present climate where Oregon is getting all that Nike money and is still kind of the hot name in that state. I don't know that they're ever going to be like a perennial contender in the North, um, at least not in the next, you know, short term, uh, you know, next 10, 15 years. But if you get a differentiator, maybe you're a consistent bowl team. Yeah. And then you're, you know, every three or four years, you're a team that's going to compete for the Pac-12. Um, I just don't know if this does that. But, you know, bringing a hometown guy home, bringing a guy who is, you know, soon to be a, a probably a coveted, you know, head coach guy. Um, you know, you can't fault that too much. No. All right. Well, some positive news for Oregon State finally, which is good. Hopefully. Hopefully it's positive. Yeah. Um, our number 11 team, Colorado Buffalo. They were we uh, anything here. Yeah. So five, you know, obviously 10 win season to five and seven. Um, there was an article. I haven't, I, I, I apologize. I haven't read it yet. Uh, I, it was one of the local writers about really the, uh, they gave, uh, Mike McIntyre like a D grade and said really the off season was kind of what derailed uh, this team. So I don't know if you saw that one yet. I got to check that one out. But there was nothing much else. I mean, just obviously disappointing to go from a ten win season to not making a bowl. Yeah, I, I I did not think that McIntyre did a good job this year. And in kind of bad news, and this is maybe the real piece of news, um, junior cornerback Isaiah Oliver declared for the draft. Um, and is going to forgo his senior season. Um, and that that's a blow because, you know, this is another, this is like kind of a young cycle for that defense. And next year was projected to be uh, a little bit more of a, an older, uh, you know, kind of a, an up cycle for them. And losing a guy as talented as Isaiah Oliver uh, is a blow. Um, and, you know, that just, you know, makes you wonder a little bit about next year and, and what that's going to shape up to be. Um, but yeah, so that's a disappointment, but yeah, I didn't, I I mean, I just generally didn't think, um, this was, this had the look of a super well-coached team this year. And maybe it was some of the off season distractions coming in. Um, and we shouldn't call them distractions. The, you know, the criminal stuff going on in Colorado and the, the way that, or was it criminal? I don't know. The, the Mike McIntyre, um, uh, uh, the domestic abuse stuff going on, um, in the off season, certainly. Uh, maybe put a maybe put like a little bit of a pall over the season, but yeah, I don't know. Not a good year for Colorado. No, I will see if they can bounce back. Um, yeah, we talked about before. Like, it'd been better to have like an eight or nine win season followed by eight or nine win season than like a ten win season where you win the South, but you don't make a New Year Six bowl and then no bowl the next year. So, yep. let's see if they can bounce back. Um, our number ten team, Dave, California Golden Bears. All right. And so California is also not going bowling. Um, Justin Wilcox was getting talked about as, um, in theory, I think it was when Oregon, um, and we'll see what happens with Oregon. We'll talk about them in a bit. He was getting talked about as potential, you know, maybe Oregon will take a look at him for the Oregon job. And I have a hard time seeing him leaving Cal, but he is getting a little bit of his staff taken away from him. Um, UCLA just hired his defensive line coach. Uh, Jerry Azanaro. Oh yeah. Um, I think they're pursuing his offensive line coach, uh, Steve Greatwood. 
Um, so he's going to have to do a little bit of rebuilding there. He doesn't have to um, replace Bo Baldwin as of yet because Bo Baldwin didn't get the Oregon State job, so that's good. Yeah, that was another uh, one where they could have brought him. He's a Pacific Northwest guy, uh, for, you know, head coach at Eastern Washington, where they beat Oregon State. Like, he was another name. They would have been like, that would have been good, you know? Yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, I think this was a good year for Cal, considering I think everyone was basically projecting that they were going to win, like, two games, tops. Yeah. Um, and they went 5-7, and seven, and it was a competitive 5-7, and seven, where, you know, they were in a lot more games than they won, and uh, certainly could have gone bowling uh, if just a couple of things had broken correctly. I mean, they were, they were tied with USC at the half. They... Um, played a competitive game against UCLA. They played a competitive game against Stanford. Yeah. They played a really competitive game against Arizona. I mean, all of those were games that could have flipped um, and just didn't. But I think Wilcox did a nice job this year. I think his coordinators did a nice job this year. And uh, the future's uh, pretty bright there. Yeah, I think we all assumed they had like the worst talent and the worst coaching. And uh, they proved both of those to be wrong. Um, you know, you got a Patrick Laird come out of nowhere, the former walk-on that, you know, can can run for 200 yards a game if he wants sometimes so it's pretty cool yeah um so not uh, yeah i think a good step there for cal and uh we'll see how many more coaches get uh but when you put together good staff your coaches are going to get um you know plucked away from you sometimes so uh we'll see what happens there but yeah keeping uh bo baldwin is a good is a good deal um our number nine team we have ucla bruins ucla is going bowling uh, they're they're going to play Kansas State again. Um, oh. If you remember this from last time, uh, these two teams played. That was the uh, Alamo Bowl, right? That was the Alamo Bowl in 2014. Well, I guess it was the beginning of 2015, but it was the, the 2014 season. Um, uh, Jim Mora, um, our, you know, our, the, the, the former UCLA coach who was a famous uh, little bit of a red ass, um, <laughs> <laughs> did not uh, did not shake Bill Snyder's hand after the game initially, and then had a very perfunctory shake later on, and then had another shake or something, and told him what for, because Bill Snyder had commanded his uh, Kansas State Wildcats to uh, jump the snap um, when UCLA was lined up in the victory formation, and they did it in kind of a, 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 a shady way where there were a couple of guys trying to scramble under linemen to you know swipe at his ankles while another guy jumped over the line and. Uh, it just was kind of a, 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 you know, kind of Bush league. And, uh, you know, if you if you follow Snyder enough, you, you kind of see that stuff happening. He's got that kindly old grandpa thing going on. But he's <laughs> he's a he's an old, old curmudgeon. But anyway, UCLA is playing Kansas State. And yeah, there's no Jim Moore for UCLA. But uh, hopefully they keep that uh, fun little uh, not shaking hands at the end thing alive. Um <laughs> Chip Kelly remains UCLA's head coach. UCLA fans remain ecstatic about this. And, uh, yeah, LiAngelo Ball is also not coming back to school. Oh, yeah, so Lamar Ball pulled him out of school. Yeah, yeah. LeVar Ball said – LeVar, uh, said Lamar, LeVar. Yeah, sorry. said uh, he, he, he doesn't think LiAngelo should be punished since there were no criminal charges and uh, has pulled LiAngelo out of school. So that's – Without Your telling a little bit of basketball news for today, yeah. Without telling UCLA that he was doing it, like they found out over Twitter or something, I think. Right. Yeah, and they just released a statement saying, "Okay, we heard about that. Wishing the best of luck." Um, <laughs> this is honestly uh, just a, a little basketball digression. This is like the best case scenario for the end result of the Ball, Ball Brothers being UCLA. 
if Leangelo doesn't come and then they don't have to deal with LaMelo either, even though LaMelo's much more talented than Leangelo, if they don't have to deal with either of them and can get LeVar Ball out of their lives and they got the benefit of getting Lonzo Ball for a season, that's that's the most absolute win in <laughs> UCLA history because they had to take the two other brothers as part of the, you know, part of the thing with with getting Lonzo. That's just, you know, the, the quid pro quo there. Um, but then to not actually have to play either of the two others would be just, I mean, you, you couldn't draw it up any better if you're Steve Alford. So the middle one's the worst one, right? The one that's there the, now. The, the middle there? one is the one who has no shot at the NBA. Okay. Um, the, the youngest one has a shot, um, but he's, uh, not to get into basketball, he's probably got to change his approach a little bit to the game, but uh, he has potential. Um and Lonzo's obviously Lonzo, but yeah, okay. Leangelo didn't really have much of a chance at the NBA. Okay, so for UCLA, it's December 26th. It's a Tuesday, December 26th, day after Christmas, Cactus Bowl. That's in Phoenix, Arizona on Chase Field, Kansas State 7-5 and five versus UCLA 6-6. Six and six. That will be a 6 p.m. Pacific time uh, on ESPN. So that's where... Look at you providing details where yeah. I just rambled. Yeah, no, you know, just let people know if they were like, hey, where, where can I see UCLA play the bowl game? Um, okay, so that's our number nine team. Our number eight team, Arizona Wildcats. Uh, why isn't this bowl game listed on my list? Do you have it in I front got of you? It. Yeah, so this is uh, Arizona's playing in the Foster Farms Bowl. Okay, Ooh. so this is in Santa Clara, California, Levi Stadium, where I just was. Uh, Purdue, six and six. Uh, so, P- no, wait, that's not PJ Fleck. That's uh. Jeff Brom, right? Jeff, Jeff Brom. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Brom. Great who, Jeff Brom. Yeah, went from Western Kentucky to Purdue. Tennessee made a run at him. He's staying, it looks like. So um, six and six. They should have a really fun offense. Arizona seven and five. Uh, this is Wednesday, December 27th. So the next day, it's 5.30 p.m. Pacific. And this game uh, is on Fox. This should be a lot of fun. Um Hopefully, Khalil Tate will be fully healthy and rested for this one. Um, I think he was getting kind of banged up by the end of the year with the beating he was taking pretty much every game. Um, so getting a month off and then uh, then playing against a Big Ten team that's uh, certainly not very talented, very well coached. Uh, Jeff Brom is, I think, one of the better unknown-ish coaches in the country. Um, and he's going to probably have a good plan in place for Arizona, but I don't think a guy like Khalil Tate is something he's seen a whole lot. Um, so that should be a lot of fun. Um, I'm excited to see Khalil Tate again uh, one last time this year before we have to take a whole off season and uh, and uh, start drawing up the Heisman race for next year. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I don't think there's any other kind of Arizona news that I nothing right like. Uh... Arizona basketball is like sneakily horrible. Oh but, yeah, they're bad. It seems like they kind of they kind of like not playing for the coach anymore. They're not playing for I don't know. Like there's something's not right there. Yeah, they they like barely beat UNLV the other night. They lost to Purdue, lost to SMU. I mean, they're just their defense is not good right now. So uh, Arizona football can kind of revenge that loss in basketball. There you go. There uh, you go. Nice. Okay. We'll, we'll definitely have more on all these games later. Uh, number seven, we have Utah Utes. All right. Utah is taking on West Virginia in the heart of Dallas Bowl. Uh, this game is on Tuesday, 
December 26th, same day as UCLA, Kansas State. Uh, but this one is on at, is this right, 10.30 a.m. Pacific, Pacific time? time? Yeah, 12.30 Central Time. So this is like uh, one of those early games. And this is actually at the Cotton Bowl, right? Not at AT&T, um, like the old Cotton Bowl. Is that right? I, I They bounce these games around so often. Let's look. I believe this is at the old Cotton Bowl. Um, Where now the Cotton Bowl is at AT&T. Right. It's at the Cotton Bowl in Fair Park in Dallas, Texas. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, this should be interesting. I know nothing about West Virginia. Like nothing at all. Seven and five. Uh, Utah six sure. and six. Um, sure. I've watched a couple games. I think every time I saw them, they were losing to like an Oklahoma or to a. Yeah. But they, I mean, they've still, you know, they were seven and five. Um, offense is, is usually pretty fun. Uh, who's the, is it Greer? Dana, Hol- Dana Holgerson. Yeah. Sure. And then Greer's the, the quarterback who I think he got banged up at the end of the year. Oh, yeah. He, he got his like finger bent the wrong oh, way. Oh, that was gross. Yeah. I remember that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That should be kind no, of, no. that should be funnish. And then we'll see what, you know, what's Utah going to do? Is Tyler Huntley healthy? Uh, Will they play Troy Williams anyway for his last game? I don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah, and if they if we get to see either of them, it'll be fun. You know, get to see Troy Williams, a guy we've been following since high school, play one more game, which would be fun. Or we'll get to see Tyler Huntley, who's the future of Utah quarterbacking, and uh, maybe he'll get a jump start on uh, putting together a, a big Pac-12 season next year. So that's going to be a fun game. Yeah. So I don't really have any kind of Utah news. I, they, um, you know, I think contractually they have to replace their offensive coordinator in the next couple of weeks. So we'll see yeah, if that yeah, happens. Yeah, it's, it's defense against the dark arts. Yeah. It's just got to be, you got to change it every year. Every year. Um, okay. So number six, this is where we really have them. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> but I don't think Ugh. they'll be this high for quite a while. Yeah. Um, I won't say Herm Edwards. <laughs> except for that one time in this little bit. Um, Arizona State takes on North Carolina State in the Sun Bowl. Uh, This game's on uh, December 29th at 12 noon on CBS. Sun Bowl's always a really fun game. Um, North Carolina State's retaining its coach. Um, Another guy Tennessee pursued, Dave Doran, and uh, did not land. Um, And uh, this is always a really fun game Um, in terms of... uh, uh, the media hospitality. Um, they've got a great media hospitality group. Uh, El Paso is a bit of a pit, um, but the people who run this bowl game are great. I love them. They're wonderful. I don't, I've been, I think I've been to one. I haven't, um, I didn't get to go when USC went with like Lane Kiffin and all that craziness. Cause I was at the army bowl, like a, in a different part of the state. Um, you know, east of there. Cause we were covering the heights, the, the, the recruiting stuff, but, yeah. Uh, I like El Paso. I dated a girl from El Paso, Dave. So I've been there a few mm-hmm. times. You land when you land. She she actually, I talked to her like recently. We were like, this was in college. So long time ago for me. She goes, every time I fly in, I always think of you. Cause when I flew in there for the first time, like we were coming back, like for Thanksgiving or something, it's like you're landing over the desert and then you just yeah. like, then all of a sudden there's a runway and you're like, what, what, what is going like LA? You're flying over city for, you know, hours. And then. <laughs> El Paso, you're like basically flying over tumbleweeds and then you land. Have you ever heard the uh, the the song by Marty Robbins, El Paso? Uh, I don't think so. Now that's the best song in the English language. 
It's great. I recommend listening to it. Everyone out there, I recommend you listen to it right now. Pause this podcast. Listen to El Paso. Come right back. You're gonna you're gonna thank me for it. All right. Cool. Okay. Um. So let's move on. We don't have any other news, right? Uh. No. Nothing. Okay. So our number. Uh. Could we? Yeah. We talked about. There's big news. We just already talked about. Um. Because Dave wanted to talk about. It was so bad. (laughs) It was. It was was burning up. He was texting me every ten minutes. Are we doing the show yet? Are we doing the show yet? Um. Okay, so number five we have... Oregon Ducks. Oh, boy, Oregon. Um, As of this moment, so it is 3.14 Pacific time on Monday afternoon. We still have no word on whether Willie Taggart is going to take the Florida State job or not. Um, And no word means that neither Bruce Feldman nor Brett McMurphy have (laughs) tweeted about it. Everyone else is not a source. Brett no McMurphy, one else has information about this. Brett McMurphy, Brett McMurphy. Yeah, he crushed the bulls. Like, he was putting all those out. And he's not – and I think ESPN was like, oh, our own Brett McMurphy. Like, nope, you, you let him go. He's not He's <laughs> yeah. not there anymore. Yeah, he tweeted that um, during the – I think it was during the um, – uh, which game was it? Uh, he tweeted about um, – gosh, what was it? Was it during a game where Reese Davis said something like our own Brett McMurphy – and then he tweets out our own in quotes. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I think so he's, good. If his Twitter profile, I think he has something about that referenced in there too. So um, he's really good. Bruce is really good about breaking the stuff. And uh, so Nigel Burton for Pac-12 Network tweeted out this morning, I believe, that Willie Taggart was flying to Florida today to meet with the you know officials and stuff. So um, and the way he's like. When he's being asked about it, the way he's saying, and their bowl game's coming up, so they're, um, this is December sixteenth. Like we're like, we're gonna have to preview them like pretty quickly. Yeah. So, oh yeah. So the Las Vegas Bowl is December sixteenth, uh, a Saturday. They're taking on Boise State, um, who you know beat out Fresno State for the Mountain West Championship. Even though Fresno State just beat them the week before, Boise got a home game because of some ranking you know, like BCS stuff. It was like crazy. But anyway, so Boise ended up. Uh, beating Fresno State uh, after they lost to them the week before. Oregon will take them on 10-3 and Boise State, 7-5 and Oregon, 12.30 p.m. Pacific on ABC on Saturday, December 16th. So it's coming up. So there's bowl talk, there's interviews, and every time you hear him speak, it's like, I, I know it's a, a hard position, but it just doesn't sound like he's saying the right things. No, and I think it might be a legitimate reflection that he's not sure. Um, Because if he was sure he was staying, he'd be saying the right things. If he was sure he was leaving, he would have left already, (laughs) you know? And maybe it's just he doesn't have an offer. I don't know. I don't know how Florida State's playing it. But um, it does seem – it seems like he's putting – and I'm never, like, on the side of the school here, but it does seem like he's putting Oregon in a bad spot because he's also taking recruiting trips while this is all happening. Like, he's – out recruiting and on one hand yeah you want the guy to still do his job while he's um you know while he's still employed but you also i mean oregon recruits pretty nationally the recruits he recruits for oregon and he's got the number one class in the country right now the recruits he recruits for oregon he could easily try to persuade to come to florida state and if you're oregon you're, you're just kind of trusting on good faith that he's still recruiting for oregon even if he's thinking about florida state that's just that's a tough spot to put Oregon in, um, and I'm, I'm sure it's nearing a point where they're going to start thinking like, okay, we've got to just give him a deadline to make this decision, and if he doesn't, I mean, they might have to just start 
moving on with contingency plans because it's getting to that stage. I mean, Florida State's been open now for what? A week and a half, two weeks, something like that? Yeah. Uh, well, no, no, it hasn't been, and 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 I mean, Jimbo Fisher just took no, the Texas A&M yeah. job, but in but you in knew, reality, like, yeah, in you reality, it's been open happen. for like a week, week and a half. Yeah, you kind of so, yeah, you kind of knew everything was going to happen and stuff. So, yeah, so I I just don't know. I mean, I and then what would Oregon do in that situation? I mean, it sounds like they would want to retain this recruiting class because um, I, I always think that's a mistake to hire based off of a recruiting class, but I think at Oregon. Um, where it, it can be a little bit tougher to recruit. Um, maybe it's a, a more of a driving concern, but I, I had always hired the best coach available and, and let recruiting figure itself out. Yeah, they had the number one class, I think, according to Scout. Um, but as Kevin Wade, our buddy, pointed out, the Scout doesn't the rankings don't exist anymore. So they're number seven right now uh, at the two four seven rankings. Um, so it's a, I mean, obviously a top ten class, a really good class. What happens if he leaves? I kind of think he's gonna, Dave. I don't know if you have a gut feeling, but like Florida State, you know, you know, he wanted to get back back there eventually. Florida State's not going to come open. I mean, it's what it's come open like twice in the last fifty years. Forty one. I mean, he's got like a good twenty five years left of his coaching career. It's going to open again. I mean, and if it doesn't open, I mean, it, is it really just Florida State, or is it Florida State, Miami, or Florida? Like, is it? Yeah. Maybe he is just an old guy. I don't know. But letting like young fandom dictate what like what job you take when you're older just strikes me as so weird. But anyway, I'm going to refer to Bruce Feldman here, whose last tweet on the subject was: "Am told by a source the report that Oregon head coach Willie Taggart is finalizing a contract with Florida State is not accurate." There has been no meeting with the Knowles as of yet. That was five hours ago. Yeah. Nothing since. And so, for me, that means that this isn't imminent yet. So, Nigel Burton, um, you know, former Washington player and does a good job on the Pac-12 network. I think so. I don't, do, you, do you like him or is not? I think he's fine. I don't, I don't, I don't watch the, the network shows too much yeah. on the Pac-12 network. But, yeah, from what I've heard, he's been fine. It's fine. Like, you know, but I think he was pretty on top of the – Willie Taggart coming to Oregon stuff. So there's some kind of good connection there. So I, I kind of believe that he was flying down there. We'll see, you know, kind of what comes of it. For sure. Uh, let's see. Our number um, four team. Washington State Cougars. All right. Washington State is also not on my stupid list. I got it. That's okay. Um, Washington State, the Cougs are back in the Holiday Bowl. Uh, so that is Thursday, December 28th, uh, San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. It was some weird, uh, when USC went a couple years ago, they had some weird sponsor. Like it was completely out of the, like, I don't know, I forget what it was. But this is at uh, SDCCU Stadium, which is used to be Qualcomm Stadium. So I guess they changed it. But no, no the Chargers are no longer there. So I don't know what what they're doing there. One of the biggest dumps around. It's it's like the worst place to go. Um, San Diego's great. The the stadium's awful. Um, it's a dump, yeah. absolute dump. And I know we we got like dumped on for or not dumped on, but we got questioned about this opinion. But I feel like we only get questioned about this opinion from people who have never been to Qualcomm. Yes, like oh, it's an NFL stadium. How bad could it be? Like it's bad. Like it's garbage. And the tailgating atmosphere is garbage. It's like just asphalt everywhere you can see. It's yeah. horrible. It's a horrible environment. Bad games. But awful. But usually the games are good. Like the matchups yeah, are usually good. 
I mean the matchup, not like the Michigan State nine and three, Washington State nine and three. Um, this is a six p.m. kickoff Pacific time, and this one's on FS1. Um, so yeah, it's you know Washington State's going back there. So I I think some people thought that they wouldn't send Washington State to the Holiday Bowl because they ju- they had just been there, but. They're going again. I like. I mean, it should be a really interesting game with Michigan State, who uh, you know played really well in, in some of their games this year. Yeah, I think it should be. Um, I, I guess it's going to be a little bit weird for Washington State because Mike Leach, by all accounts, had more or less agreed to take the Tennessee job, or at least given strong indications to John Curry before he was summarily fired. Soon thereafter. Um, how weird of a spot does that put Washington State in here with Leach? Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm curious how far. You now, my my wife is all over this stuff, and it, there was this power struggle going on with uh, John Curry, who was the AD, who was, uh, in all accounts, like a terrible AD at Kansas State. Um, the you know the guy uh, uh, Fitz, who does a great job covering Kansas State coined John Curry as like a guy that builds buildings and tears down athletic programs and somehow Tennessee hired him back and it was just like and then so there was stuff going on with boosters and uh Philip Fulmer comes back and there's this power struggle and as he's on a trip to LA so he met with Mike Leach in Los Angeles and was interviewing him but then the word was like they were going to fire him it's like how could you let an AD like interview a coach that's about to be fired so it puts Leach in a really weird spot and however far that went if if he was offered the job or if they agreed in principle, shook on it, whatever it was, the, basically the guy that you were interviewing with is about to be fired, so it doesn't matter. Um, and I don't think Fulmer's a Fulmer's going to be more of a Southern guy, like keep it like in the Tennessee family. Leach would have been like this outcast kind of hire. I think it could have worked pretty well, even though he's not like talking cornbread and church. He's talking about Geronimo or whatever. Um, still, I, I think he's a winner. I think he could have, have done some good things there. But it does, to me, David, doesn't look like that's going to happen. I don't know if he I, – I think he ends up staying. I don't think it's going to be that awkward because it was like this holy weird thing. And you're kind of like – you get dirty just being near this Tennessee you know, dumpster fire. But I think it'll you know be okay. You can't blame a guy for like looking at a, a, a big-time SEC job like that. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I just wonder – and we'll get into that maybe in the game previews – what that does for the team's motivation going into this game and what it means for Leach going forward. I mean, there's still, um, I mean, the Tennessee job's still open. So as you said, that's still an option. Uh, Florida state's still in theory open. Um, though we'll see, it looks like, uh, Willie Taggart has rescheduled a recruiting visit, um, that he had scheduled for today to, uh, later on after meeting with Florida state today. So we'll see about that. Um, but, yeah, we'll see if if this is a sign that Leach was looking at, you know, a job that's, you know, really coveted that opened up or if he was just looking at the first job that contacted him, right? Yeah. You know, whether this is something that he's really looking to move on or if he's still got a comfort level there because, uh, you know, as we've noted before, his AD moved on to Nebraska, the the AD who who brought him on at Washington State. Yeah, so, Bill Moose, yeah. So this is, uh, you know, it might be a situation where he's looking for a place to move on to as well, so... That'll be something interesting to monitor over the coming weeks. Yeah, it's still it's still in flux. But my guess is he stays. You know, we'll see. Though, if there's really a desire to leave, then he might find something else that uh, that he could go do. Okay, so our, our number three team. Anything else on Washington State or no? I've got nothing else okay. on Washington State. Our number three team, and then 
we can talk talk about this. We we kept them the same, right? Like you don't want to. Yeah. Okay. So our number three team will be Washington Huskies. <laughs> All right. So Washington's taking on Penn State in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, the game time is noon. Is that right? One one p.m. Pacific. One p.m. Pacific. Sorry, I was trying to translate from Mountain Time, and I'm a moron. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 1 p.m. in Glendale, Arizona, December 30th. Uh, so Washington uh, made it into the New Year's Six Bowls over Stanford. So once again, uh, the loser in the Pac-12 championship game really did get punished. Um, Stanford got dropped out of the top 12 this year, and last year Colorado uh, got dropped out of the top 12. So... Um, that's an interesting wrinkle to the championship game argument. Um, so UW's going to take on Penn State. I think this is going to be a fun-as-hell football game. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, there's like two type Rose Bowl type of games. We'll talk about one of them. and you know Neither of them are being played in the Rose Bowl, unfortunately. Uh, it's the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl. Someone was, at, I think we were, I someone was asking me like who's the sponsor. I had no idea. But uh, it's the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl, 10-2 Penn State, 10-2 uh, Washington. And it's... The the real I, I don't think Stanford was the threat here, to, but for the Pac-12, this is a great this is a great win for the Pac-12. They needed to get another team into the group, the New Year Six Bowls, and it didn't seem like Washington was going to be able to jump up ahead of TCU, but they did. TCU gets up boat raced by Oklahoma, which certainly helped out uh, the Pac-12. That sneaks Washington in there, similar like USC snuck into the Rose Bowl last year, jumping again ahead of Colorado, like Dave said. Uh, but that's you know extra millions of dollars for the conference, so big big deal that Washington was able to uh, make it in there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is uh, you know I, my thoughts on the Rose Bowl in general is I don't think there's another game in college football that's iconic the way the Rose Bowl is. Like I don't think the Sugar Bowl matchup is something that you know any fan knows off the top of their head. But the Pac-12, I mean. Pac-12 versus the Big Ten. Like, that's just what it is and should be. Um, I, I kind of feel like the Rose Bowl should, should, should do the right thing here, and the right thing is as determined by me, and just pull themselves out of the out of the playoff system and just be the, like, we're, we're just going to be the Rose Bowl. We're going to be the, the New Year's Six Bowl that's between the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, and that's it. I think they should do that. That's my thought. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. Uh, let's see. Offensive coordinator, oh, offensive yeah. coordinator at Washington. Yeah, so they uh, hired Bush uh, Hamden. So he was, or currently, or I guess, I don't know, the Atlanta's quarterback coach. Um, but he was also like the wide receivers coach at Washington and like a quality control guy. He was a quarterback uh, at Boise State for Chris Peterson. So he's been around Peterson quite a bit. You know, Peterson likes to keep his guys. Um, so once... Uh, once he lost his offensive coordinator to Oregon State, uh, they're bringing back Bush Hamden to uh, run Washington State's off- uh, Washington's offense. Excuse me, and I don't think they've determined if he's going to call plays or not yet. So it, I'm not sure what's going to happen there. Yeah, certainly for the bowl game, I think they're figuring it out. I think ideally, I think Peterson likes to delegate play calling. So I think for next season, obviously, I think he'd want uh, Hamden to do it, but. Um, yeah, this is interesting. Um, he's obviously got familiarity with Peterson, tons of familiarity they, there. And um, he went to the Falcons, which at least, you know, last year and a little bit this year, uh, one of the more 
innovative offenses in the NFL. Um, so maybe learned a little bit there to take back. Um, but whatever the case, I think uh, it's a continuity hire for sure for Peterson, but he's certainly earned the right to make continuity hires um, since he's been uniformly excellent pretty much everywhere on his coaching journey. So, yeah, makes sense to me. He's trying to build a culture there, and why not uh, bring a guy back who adds a little bit to that culture? Yeah. All right. Um, so big, 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 big news for the Pac-12, Washington making in uh, to a New Year's Six Bowl, and it's a great matchup with Penn State. Uh, our number two team, Stanford Cardinal. And this should be another fun game, uh, taken on TCU in the Alamo Bowl. Uh, this is December 28th at 6 p.m. on ESPN. Um, Dave, I don't think that's right. Because what? because um, Washington State's playing at 6 p.m. on that same day, so they wouldn't do that. <laughs> You know what's great? I want to I, I want to note this because I haven't I haven't taken you behind the curtain. I'm using the Pac-12's bowl list, and they don't have some of these games listed. <laughs> like that's what I'm I'm looking at Pac-12.com football schedule of the bowl games, and they don't have some of these games listed. That's how bad the Pac-12 is. <laughs> so I'm looking at Stanford TCU. It says Valero Alamo Bowl. There's no mention of Washington State on this page. They've got the games that come on before it. They've got the games that are on the days after. They don't have the second game on that. Day. Really? We, I wonder if it's it just hasn't been updated. I'm using the email, the list, like a PDF that they sent out over email. So it has them all. But, you know, those are right next to each other. And they're both at 6 p.m. on December 28th. You, you think a little forethought, Dave, that. Well, 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 but hold on, Ryan. Those aren't both Pac-12 affiliated bowls, are they? <laughs> yes. Like, they couldn't have known this going into the scheduling and perhaps influenced it a little. Neither one are at large. Both are Pac-12 affiliated bowl games. That seems weird. <laughs> it's just, it's just another one of those things. It's just like, really? So. You're going to have to like have two TVs if you want to watch all the Pac-12 games on December 28th. That is going to be so frustrating for us that even in bowl season, we're going to have to like just have two TVs going on at once just to watch the things so we can talk about them. Ugh. It's going to be great. What, that, a, what a tough job. That's have. like a travel day for me, too. So hopefully I'll get there in time to watch the games. But I was like, ugh. I'll be responsibility-less. I will have written all of my content from the UCLA-Kansas State game. I'll be I'll be freed up and ready to go. Um, but Stanford taking on TCU. So got to go to Texas and play a Texas team. Mm-hmm. TCU's 10-3. Mm-hmm. and three. They, they got beat pretty badly. Are they going to be upset that they're not in a New Year's Six Bowl? Um, you know, they got jumped by, by Washington, like we said. So I don't know. Yeah, and I think... Um, you know, Stanford, I think, is a better team than they were at the very beginning of the year with KJ Costello at quarterback. And maybe in the next month, David Shaw develops a little bit more comfort with him and they're a little bit more willing to throw the ball. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to watch this one. I think it could be a nice preview of what Stanford could look like in uh, 2018. And TCU probably has like the best defense of that group of you know good Big 12 teams. Um, so yeah, this might be one of those like 24-21 type of games. Who knows? Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. And then, oh, so David Shaw also had a really interesting statement. I don't have it in front of me, but the paraphrasing was, uh, to keep it fair, 
all conferences should play the same amount of conference games. Is that is that kind of basically what he said? Yeah, yeah. He basically said uh, he, he doesn't like mind um, you know the situation as it is, but if we're gonna continue with this, we have to make it fair. We have to balance things a little bit more, and whether that means everyone you know, playing eight conference games or nine conference games or the same amount of non-conference games or whatever it is, but just everybody do the same thing, which is just smart, good sense. Every time that guy opens his mouth, it's basically smart, good sense that falls out. Yeah. It's, he's, he's just, he's a thoughtful guy. I wish he would uh, do better things with his offense. <laughs> one of the, one of the things I tweeted out, cause you know, when the whole playoff projections were coming out and like you know basically three teams battling for the number four spot or at least three teams that they felt could make it uh usc ohio state and and alabama and i tweeted you know ohio state and and usc both played 10 conference games this year and alabama played eight you know um so that's the discrepancy and obviously that one of them is a, a championship game alabama didn't have to play that plus they only play eight you know conference games um, having the SEC and having the ACC only playing eight conference games, those are the only two conferences that haven't missed a playoff yet. So I think there's a direct correlation to, you know, getting that extra half a loss for every team per year and being able to make a playoff. For sure. Yeah, I agree. All right. And then our uh, our number one team. USC Trojans. Clay Helton got himself off that hot seat. For a little bit. He yeah. saved his job by going 11-2. Um, USC is now taking on Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl, 5.30 p.m. December 29th on ESPN. Uh, this game should be fun, way fun. But, I mean, in your future, um, this would be a game that USC just has to play into as an independent because they wouldn't be part of the Pac-12. <laughs> they would they, And so... They'd have to find their way into the top twelve without playing the Pac twelve schedule. Right. In, in in your future. In my in 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 yeah, so my uh it's both yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in a second. Um yeah, this was a little bit of an upset thought that USC would play in the Fiesta Bowl, but because Ohio State had played the Fiesta Bowl the last two years and USC already played Penn State last year, they kinda wanted to match up USC and Ohio State. So most everyone thought USC would end up in the Fiesta Bowl no matter what. Uh, they end up going to the Cotton Bowl. So USC went there last year to Dallas or to, uh, um, was it not, uh, where is the, I forget where they play it, but it's at ATT Stadium, Jerry World, all that kind of stuff, whatever city that's in, um, outside of Dallas. Arlington? Ar- is that right? Uh, that, yeah, I think it is. That's where, like, cause of the, uh, I think the, the baseball field, the Rangers play Rangers, like next yeah. to it too. Yeah. So that's yeah, in Arlington. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they went there to start 2016 and got boat raced by Alabama. We'll see if they end 2017 getting boat raced by Ohio State. Um, it's obviously a lot of athletes on that team, kind of up and down. You know, uh, JT Barrett can play well, cannot. It's kind of a sloppy Big Ten uh, title game, but it'll, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, obviously a well-coached team. Clay Helton called the Urban Meyer a legend uh, when, during the, the, the Cotton Bowl conference call. And someone tweeted, As a young coach, he called him a legend. Yeah, uh, Clay Helton is seven years younger than than Urban Meyer. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, yeah, but they, obviously Urban Meyer's done a lot more. Um, sure, 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 sure. In his uh, career, someone said so. That means he's an urban legend. I was like, oh, that's pretty good. Oh, well, that's pretty Twitter. good. I like it. Uh, okay, so the whole independence thing. So 
when the the playoff rankings came out, I went on. I like going on Twitter rants every once in a while. USC was eighth, so people were talking like, "Hey, they're in contention for a playoff spot," which I didn't think. I said, "Look, they're not a top four team. No, there's a lot of flawed teams. Could they beat some of those teams? Sure, but um, there's you know it." Outside of the top three, it's. I think there's a lot of openness there. I thought Ohio State would have been a better choice. Um, I thought their resume was better. They had better wins. That you know the best team that Alabama played was Auburn, and they lost. Um, I think Alabama's getting in on reputation more than anything. Whatever we, but the fact that USC was eighth, and so the Pac-12 and what Larry Scott did with the officiating and the schedules and all that kind of stuff, that's the best you could do is is a an eleven and two team that won the conference and they go eighth. And uh I had my so I didn't go talk to Larry Scott at the championship game day, but I had uh Dan Weber, our beat writer, go do it. And I said, Can you please ask him uh if you had to prioritize between a playoff game and parody, you know, how would you do that? And Dan asked him and I'll I'll read you his response. He said, I I can't have I can't want both. From a commissioner's perspective, I'd say long term you'd want depth and competitive teams. I like having a lot of markets and a lot of universities that are awarded for the investments they've made. If you followed our conference for a while, every single one of our schools has made investments in facilities, coaches, coaching staffs. And I think it's a very healthy sign for any league to have depth and parity. Um, he went on to say some other stuff too, but basically he would rather have parity than a playoff team. And I think to keep the conference relevant, you need playoff teams. You need to be able to be in that national conversation. And Larry Scott is just not focused on that. And I'm not saying you need to like, hey, I'm going to help Washington or help USC or when Chip Kelly gets there, I'm helping. Whatever it is, you're not doing that, but you're not going to hinder them. And I think the conference almost goes out of their way to hinder some of the top teams to make it more like it's a socialist regime and everyone's even. It doesn't really matter. So I was like, you know what? USC, just walk away. You can get a TV contract on your own. You can do all that other crap on your own. And if you want to be independent and say, screw the Pac-12, you can do that. Well, so I I, I get the theory. Like, I, I get what you're saying in terms of, like, putting pressure on the Pac-12 with, you know, threats to leave and that whole deal. Um, where I struggle is with this season. USC isn't out of the playoff because of the Pac-12. USC is out of the playoff because, first, they're not a playoff-caliber team. All right, let's just let's let's call a spade a spade. But also, they got blown out in their non-conference game. I mean, got crushed by Notre Dame. And I mean, if if they hadn't had a Friday game at Washington State, maybe they go nine and zero in conference. But it would be a really weird and shaky nine and zero. I mean, the way the season went for them, um, I mean, surviving a fourth and one at the goal line against Stanford, surviving that, you know, end of game against Texas. I mean, all these things that happened. I mean, I'm just, and I know you're not saying you're not arguing for USC to be a playoff team. You're arguing like, why weren't they at least like fifth or sixth? Why was it like so deeply out of it? But eighth, like if it was an 18 playoff, they would have snuck in. Like yeah, they had oh, for Auburn. Sure. Auburn was ranked ahead of them, like a three-loss Auburn team. Yeah, and that's crazy. That's crazy. Um, but I don't know. I think it's a flawed system. First, I don't think. I mean, <laughs> somebody tweeted this out. Uh, why did five Power Five conferences decide that having a four-team playoff was a good idea? That was. Like, Fo- why was- <laughs> I think it was Fo Pelini. He was like, "It's not. It's not working." They they designed a 
you know, five conferences, the fourteen playoff, and some for some reason it's not working right. Like that's so weird. Something like that. It was great. Yeah, and I guess what I would say is for all the things to blame Larry Scott on, like, and I think I think every team in the Pac-12 has an argument for why this was a very bad scheduling year and why there's a movement, why they should move away from you know a nine-game conference schedule if nobody else is going to move to nine games. But it just seems like I mean, there's other problems that, that caused this besides Larry Scott. You know, this is this is a systemic failure. Like the, this this playoff system sucks. Only three conferences are represented, and there are, there are only five conferences that can even make it in. I mean, UCF is legitimately good; like oh, they yeah. should be in the top eight, um, and they're not. And I, I just, you know, it, it, it's it's a flawed system. They've got people who have clear biases in the committee, um, and maybe Larry Scott should be doing more lobbying. Maybe he should be doing more pushing. I'm no fan of Larry Scott at all. Um, it just feels like this isn't. I, I don't think this is a Pac-12. Well, I think it's a. I think it's a, a flawed system more than it is like hugely a Pac-12 issue. Although the Pac-12 certainly has issues here with the nine-game schedule compared to an eight-game schedule for the SEC. Yeah, and I, you know, and it's funny. I get all these tweets. Like, look, you know, I cover them. Uh, you you kind of know what's going on there. I do think something like this could work. And I had people tweeting me like, "What about basketball and stuff?" It's like, look. Basketball doesn't move the needle anymore. Like it's football. Football is what is the the big revenue driver. And like it or not, it's not like oh, this is an arrogant statement or something. USC could go out and get like, hey, we're going to partner with Notre Dame and we'll be like the the game every other week on on NBC and have our own contract and stuff. Like you could actually do that. And the the issue, it's not just about the schedule because yeah, would would the SEC ever say Alabama, you have no bye week all year? Like no, they would never do that. They are not going to take a bell cow team and put them in a horrible situation. They're not going to say, Hey, you got to go play on a Friday night up in Pullman after a road game, you know, like, no, they would never do that um, to, to an Alabama or Ohio state or things like that. And I think USC and some of the other power schools need to push back and say, you know what? We're not playing on Friday night. We're not playing on Thursday night. Screw you. Like let Oregon state play on Friday night, let them win some games. And if they start winning games, then they can uh, they can dispute and not play those games. I think you have to kind of use your power a little bit, which they don't do. And the the other big issue is the television contracts. It's split even across all teams. Yeah, and that's dumb. And it's dumb. And Rutgers will make twenty million dollars more. Uh, they're going to make like a hundred million more over the next five years on television than a USC or a Washington or a UCLA, despite being in you know Indiana will. Um, you know, I, all these teams that are like, what? Because the, the Pac-12, and they don't even release uh, ratings, uh, the numbers of what you're making for for the Pac-12 network. They're very secretive about it. You can go out, and I think the future is going to be a la carte. Like, you're paying for the whole network. Are they gonna, the, the contracts are going to be like that? Like, you have to take the whole network or, I mean, the whole conference? Or they want, like, you know what? I only want the USC-UCLA game, or I only want... Uh, you know, Washington playing Georgia or whatever it is, like those kind of things, you're going to want to, they're going to want to pay for those marquee games. So if you want to go independent and you get a few marquee games a year, you can make a lot of money on those and you'll be fine. So to me, it's about the, you're leaving all this revenue on the table. You're falling behind. If you could go out and do it on your own and do it better, why wouldn't you? So sorry if that sounds like arrogant or whatever, but I think I, my preference would be, 
it's the, I like the Pac-12. I like the way the teams are paired up. I've talked about that before. But the changes have to happen. Like the the whole conference is going to be falling behind. And if it takes like a USC to explore going independent or joining with UCLA and, and doing something, going to another conference, whatever it is, if that's what it takes to like make the Pac-12 wake up and do things better and focus on making the conference relevant as opposed to the most important things are Olympic sports and everyone being pretty good, um, I just don't think that's what's great for the conference as a whole. Yeah, and I I think uh, I'm all for I'm all for threats. I'm all I, lo- I love threats, and I think it's certainly <laughs> moving um, moving the Pac-12 away from whatever it is that Larry Scott has planned is probably a good idea. Um, I just uh, so like I don't know if like USC could I don't know if they're the same thing that Notre Dame is. Notre Dame is a national brand in the way that first no team in college football is. Sure. Um, and so, but they're also a local brand in a way that, uh, you know, SEC schools are, but I don't know that USC is. I mean, the, the, Notre Dame's a stadium that, didn't they have something like 300 consecutive sellouts or some crazy thing? Oh, yeah, completely. Like in their stadium and – I mean, USC is uh, it's 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 an LA sporting event. When they're good, people show up and watch and pay attention. When they're bad, eh? And I don't know in an independent model if you're necessarily sustaining if you've got a downward turn of a few years. I just don't know. And I don't know. Maybe it'd require a little bit more research. But I think you know the threat to like you know go Big Twelve. I think is is maybe even a little bit more viable, and might make more sense as an actual threat to uh, you know leverage a little bit of change out of the Pac-12. Because yeah, I mean the fact that um, I, I I don't get too excited about the unequal revenue, but the fact that they're just falling so far behind the other conferences is the crazy part, and that's. You know, some of it's a function of um, uh, the the interest of the various schools. Like, it's just not as crazy of a football conference as, um, you know, the SEC or even the Big Ten. But it still shouldn't be orders of magnitude behind Rutgers. That's right. crazy. Um, it's funny. So, I got the, obviously, the Twitter storm, I, I love, you know, going on Twitter sometimes. And there were a lot of USC fans that have been talking about it for a long time. And, uh, yeah, like, USC and UCLA kind of pairing up and going to the Big 12 or something. Like, there's all kinds of crazy stuff you could potentially do, really just to get the the television revenue, uh, which is lacking. Um, but I've had a bunch of people say, like, ah, don't let the door hit you on the ass and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, if you're – like, Utah, Twitter, too, they kind of really get into it. I do not think that you are you would want a USC to leave if you're – like, you, it would like good riddance. I don't think that would be best for for any of the other teams. So it's – I think it's in the best interest of everyone to make it all better. Um, but I think there's a couple schools that are positioned that they could do something else besides just kind of go along with what Larry Scott has, uh, has drummed up. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it could absolutely, uh, I, I don't think, uh, anything is a permanent given. I think there are some, air, some issues of geography, certainly for the back 12 that aren't necessarily there for like a, a big 12 school that might want to go independent or a big 10 school that might want to go independent or even an sec school that might want to go independent in that, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know how many teams are going to want to, you know, fly out. Well, I mean, it's LA. So yeah. They're like, Oh, well, why would teams play? Well, I mean, the whole point of having nine, a big point of nine conference games is 
the schools want to come to Los Angeles to to play and so yeah. for recruiting. So it's like you couldn't do some model like what Notre Dame does with the ACC, where you play a bunch of the schools. It's like, yeah, Oregon State would jump at the chance to still play. I'm not. They're not going to be pissed that USC left. They're like, well, we still would like to play in Los Angeles, so we'll come play USC. Yeah, no, I I, I get what you're saying. Should yeah. we get to some questions, Ryan? We have to. I think this. Okay, I thought we would have like our shortest show. This we're gonna might... we're, we're gonna bump up against our longest. I think. Yes. How is this possible? We ramble. We are we are rambling men. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna collate this a little bit. We've got a great question actually from Hithliday Almond, our old friend, um, and it's such a good question. I kind of want to devote like a whole segment to it in maybe one of our um, bowl shows. You know, because we're only gonna have a game here or two to preview or here or there to pre- preview. Okay. So it might be fun to just kind of spend some time doing this. He wants us to go much deeper into the structural program fundamentals at all the different Pac-12 schools besides the coach and current roster and assess their actual program ceiling, um, which is probably a better approach than we took with that question last week. So that so, that might be fun to do for like a, you know, a 20 or 30 minute period. Okay. So should we, uh, we shelve that one? Yeah, let's shelve that one. So we'll get to that one maybe next week because there's only one game to preview. Okay. That'll give us some prep time for that. Um, all right, you want me to do Matt's Matthew Stars? Sure. All right, he says, uh, Chip Kelly, quick random thought. Chip Kelly must retain Jed Fish as coordinator so that Kelly can brand his new offense as the fish and chips spread. Sorry, couldn't help myself. Oof. Oof. Well, he's not retaining Jed Fish. Or, uh, that looks uh, very unlikely at this point. Um, so we won't, we won't, unfortunately, get that pun in our lives. But thank you for... Uh, infecting our brains with it. I thought that was a good pun, though. It was a solid pun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. We got Michael. Um, this is referees, Pac-12 referees. I've been listening to the POC. So it's not pod. POC is us. Pod is just general pods. Right? I'm getting this, Dave. Mm-hmm. See? Yeah. The, the podcast of champions since mm-hmm. it launched. And DW's broadcast back to the days of joking with John Gold about bears and laser eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to fill us in on that. Uh, and uh, you want to do that now? The, the, well, the, the theory is that um, nobody knows what a Bruin is, so we decided that they are mythical bears uh, with laser eyes. Oh. And if you actually Google uh, bears with laser eyes, uh, there's a whole like meme factory <laughs> of bears flying around with laser eyes, and they're all Bruins. Nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said, "In all that time, I don't think I've ever heard David Woods mention what he thinks of the Pac-12 <laughs> referees." What? Uh, does he think they are good or bad? That's sarcasm, obviously. My real question is this. Given that we all think the referees suck, what are your specific recommendations for the Pac-12 and Larry Scott that they could implement uh, to improve the quality of officiating? How do we fix this? I mean, it's ground up. I, I I don't think they're putting in good like metrics in place for judging these guys. I mean, the fact that like some of these – Mike Mothershed's crew – is that the best Pac-12 crew by their by, by their assessment? Is that why they got the Pac-12 title game? I is it random so. chance? I have a I have a feeling that they think that is their best crew, which is insane to me. <laughs> like it's insane to me that they think that's their best crew. That means that they're not doing any like they might be doing a quantitative assessment based off of like oh did you call this 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 specific play correctly? But they're not doing any kind of qualitative thing like hey. Um, is the flow of the game getting like friggin' destroyed by how many calls you're making or when you're making them or, 
you know, just the general speed with which you make your decisions? Like, is that getting murdered by, by the way you ref the game? Oh, it is? Oh, then then you shouldn't ref the, the, the title game for the conference. I don't think they're doing stuff like that. I think they're doing a very poor job of um, self-assessment, uh, training, um, and then, you know, putting putting the right crews on the marquee games. I just think they've been... Uh, They've been bad forever. I don't know that they're ever going to get better, as I said earlier. And our like our, our beat writer Dan Weber is uh, you know obviously bitches about the officiating a lot. He kind of came into the the season though more optimistic than normal. I think he liked David Coleman, the VP of officiating. It seemed like what they were saying was things were going in the right direction, but it wasn't implemented. You didn't see that that what you know results in the field were not what we kind of thought they would be going in. I think they've tried at times. I've reached out to Pac-12 officials for you know after like horrific games and hey, is there going to be any statement on this? No, they keep it all secret, you know. And like it, if you're keeping your rating secret and your revenue and how you handle officiate, if you're keeping all that secret, there's a reason why. And uh, you know we don't see the pool reporters anymore that get to talk to officials when you know there's a really controversial call. Um, it's just weird. So. I think they need to be more transparent um, to start, um, you know, be like, look, there's an issue. We want to have more transparency. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, share the complaints from coaches. They don't allow the coaches to say like, you know, what they're doing. And maybe the coaches aren't doing a good enough job of, of bitching enough, you know, um, mm-hmm. and making it out there. So, yeah, I I don't know. I wish we could tell you because you just want to see, you want to see football. You don't want to see referees and we're seeing referees. Yeah, Exactly. All right, uh, from Anthony. Uh, hi, Ryan and Dave. Who has done a better job in their coaching search, Tennessee or Arizona State? Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Tennessee for two reasons. Okay. One, they've actually done a coaching search. Two, they haven't yet imp- uh, self-imposed the death penalty on their program. <laughs> I'd agree. It's a dumpster fire. It's a search. It's a search with power struggles and politics and the Haslam's and the, uh, you know, the, the governor of Tennessee involved, the owner of the Cleveland Browns involved, Peyton Manning's involved, you know, Philip Fulmer, who was fired before, is involved. All this stuff is going on. Um, so it's a dumpster fire. It, insane. Like maybe the worst ever, but it was a search or it is a search. And I kind of feel that they're going to get somebody good at, in the end. Like I just get a feeling like, you know what? After all that crap, you end up getting a pretty good coach, you know? And I just can't say that about Arizona State. Yeah, no, Arizona State decided on a uh, an, a proven bad coach um, who hasn't again coached in ten years. If Tennessee goes for a proven like or or just like an unproven coach, they will have done better. <laughs> um, all right, so rank the following Oregon quarterbacks that Royce Freeman has played with. Wow, there are seven names on this list. Okay. Royce Freeman has not had consistency at quarterback <laughs> while he's been at Oregon. All right, let's rank these guys. Marcus Mariota, Jeff Lockie, Vernon Adams, Taylor Alley, Dakota Prukop, Justin Herbert, Braxton Burmeister. So I would say Mariota one, mm-hmm. Herbert two. I'd go Vernon Adams two just because Justin Herbert hasn't yet proven it over a consistent okay. period of time, but you could talk me into it. Okay, so if you want to say Vernon Adams two and, and Herbert three. That makes sense to me. Uh Cop four? Sure. We're getting down into the butt here pretty quickly, though. Yeah. Um, Jeff Lockie? 
Maybe five. Lo- maybe Lockie, and then Burmeister and Alley. Uh, fine. And I, I those bottom three. Uh, they're all bad. <laughs> that's really bad. But uh, yeah, okay. That's uh, that. That makes sense. Mariota, Adams, Herbert, Prukop, Lockie, Burmeister, Alley. But the point is that poor Royce Freeman has played with a shitload of quarterbacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he sure has. <laughs> Poor guy. Some good, go, some not. Go make go go make some money, Royce. This is um, a, oh, is there anything who's else? Who's up next? Who's oh, up next? Jonathan. Uh, championship games. This is Jonathan and Lafayette. Hey, Dave and Ryan. Uh, that was the best Pac-12 game this year, right? It's about time that happened. As a Stanford fan, I thought the team gave a gutty performance. Looking forward to next year. The offense should be a joy to watch with KJ JJ. Caden and the offensive line and maybe Bryce should I hold out hope still the better team won last night props to USC and good luck representing the conference in the NY6 my question could you rank the following statements about the game in order of your level of agreement they love us ranking shit here they um, do I, okay. I think we must do a good job of it I think so it's entertaining they're usually the the, the rank the the, the options themselves that's what the star of the question is but yeah we'll do our best um okay so one Pac-12 refs should not have blown the whistle when Scarlett wasn't down and was still backing into the end zone. Uh, I agree, but I don't know how strongly yet. Okay. Pac-12 refs should have thrown half as many flags. Agree. I agree very strongly with that. I think I agree with that more than the first one. Shaw should have pulled love for Scarlett earlier on the final drive, given he was obviously in so much pain he couldn't hold the ball. Agree. But I think I agree less than the than either of the first two. What about you? Yeah, this would be my least. Um, I think you you ride that horse as long as you can because Scarlett just didn't have the same kind of numbers that Love did. Um, uh, Burnett should have been targeted a lot more. So Deontay Burnett for USC. Um, I would agree with this least because I don't have any complaints with USC's passing game in this one. Yeah, like. Because, you know, they had a bunch of guys that were options. They could have targeted Vaughn's more, but just this was uh, Pittman's game. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that probably least or second least. And then last one, Shaw should have called a JJAW fade at least once on the final drive. I, I pretty strongly agree with that. I think there should have been more just deep sideline fades the entire game. Yeah, uh, I agree there too. Like, I mean, he, we've seen him throw like four in a row. Like, to not throw any was kind of weird. All right, so I agree most with number two, probably second most with number one, third most with number five. Um, all right, so so uh, do we agree on this? So I agree most with throwing half as many flags. Yeah, half as many flags. Then the Scarlet then, wasn't down. Yeah, I'm going to go Scarlet wasn't down as my number two. Throwing more fades. Number three. Uh, then pulling love for Scarlet earlier. Yeah, And then number Burnett. four. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Good call. Good, 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 good yeah. question there. And you can say that the love should have fumbled going into the, in the first quarter too. Yeah. All uh, right. And then Jonathan finishes off. I won't ask about Shaw's first down calls. I'm sure you'll cover that extensively, but I agreed with it. Stanford should always bet on gaining a yard to win the game. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Jonathan. There. All right. Cool. Thanks for that one. All right. This is from Earl in West LA. Conference championship game. Uh, after attending the championship game at Levi Stadium, I came away with two observations I want to share and get your reaction to. 
First, playing on Friday night is ridiculous. Why put your game on national television in a stadium with acres of empty seats? Lying Yogi Roth even said over the PA system it was a sellout crowd. I guess (laughs) since the seats are red, he confused them for USC and Stanford fans. Larry Scott does not appear to be embarrassed that his championship game has thousands of empty seats. I am not sure a change of venue is as much an issue as changing the game day to Saturday. Instead of a Putting a spotlight on the conference, the Friday night game seems to marginalize the conference. Completely, 100% agree. Yes. They should play on Saturdays. I get that the TV ratings are better on Friday, but play the damn game on Saturday. Yep. And then uh, lastly, I hate to be a nag about officiating, but national television audiences seem to bring out the worst in our referees. I can only be grateful they use the best officials for the championship game instead of the not-so-good game officials. The Pac-12 refs called 16 penalties during the championship game. The con- then contrast that with the number of penalties called in the other conference championship games yesterday speaks for itself. Uh, SEC had five, ACC had six, Big 12 had 10, and the Big 10, 11. Thanks for all you do, Earl in West LA. Yeah, Pac-12 refs suck. They, Very bad. Yeah, that's true. I mean, just the number of flags, um, it, it's pretty bad. And uh, I, it's funny, I, I didn't get to talk to Yogi, but I was down on the field afterwards and a lot of the, I talked to Curtis Conway a little bit. And our friend uh, Jill Savage, she came on the show before. Um, We got to talk to her down there. But yeah, look, Yogi Roth was like emceeing everything. Like he was all over, like every time I looked up on the board, now you're kind of sealed in that press box. You can't really hear everything that's going on but it just seemed like he was always up there on the the board talking about something that's funny uh but i didn't i didn't hear that he uh said it was a sellout crowd because it certainly was not there was tarps over the the top section so um oh you want me to do nick or you like doing nick do you want me I'll do Nick. Okay. I'll do Nick. I like doing Nick. Uh, <laughs> one game recap and questions. Hi, this is Nick from Cyprus, a.k.a. Big Nick 21 USC from the P. Stanford 28 versus USC 31. So USC played a solid game versus Stanford with a goal line stand for USC. Lure? Lore. I think he meant lore, probably. Lore. Okay. No, My bad. My bad. I'm usually no, no. good here. Yeah, you, uh, it's hard. Yeah, USC. <laughs> USC ran the ball pretty well, one turnover, which they survived. Stanford thinks if Bryce Love wasn't hurt, they would win. I doubt that Sam Darnold would have won late in the game regardless. Some of those throws from the end zone with pressure on his face were amazing. At the end of the day, USC won the game. Fight on. Questions. Uh, do you see Willie Taggart and Mike Leach coaching at their respective teams next year? I guess Taggart, no. Leach, yes. Yeah, sure. That sounds good. Uh, rank the three new head coaches of each job. I know Ryan and David will drool over drool over Chip, but what about Herm Edwards? And well, he has as Bo Baldwin, but I think he meant Jonathan Smith here. Yeah. Um. I mean, obviously, Herm Edwards is number one. Yeah. <laughs> um. Obviously, I, I I think this is the most obvious list of three yes. in the history of the world. Uh, Chip Kelly, Jonathan Smith, and then. So far down, it's subterranean, uh, Herm Edwards. Like, there's, it's on the other side of the earth. There's something, there's a part of me, because I'm going to, like, just say how stupid this is for forever, probably, but there's a part of me that's rooting for him to, like, be this amazing, like, oh, my God, that was unbelievable. I can't believe he did this. You know, it's, I, I don't think I'd feel bad about being that wrong. I mean, everyone pretty much feels this way. But it just feels like this is just, like, the dumbest thing ever. So it's just, it's hard to not think that. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then he has us uh, rank who shouldn't have been fired from Jim Mora, uh, the Oregon State head coach. Well, Corey Hall. Are we going to say it's Corey Hall? Or is he talking about? I mean, Anderson wasn't fired, so. Let's oh, yeah. Go with Corey. Anderson left. I mean, okay. Corey Hall wasn't really fired either, but. Yeah. 
Um, so Jim Mora, uh, Corey Hall, and Todd Graham. Funny thing is, I wrote last week, I thought he saved his job with seven wins, beating the rival and UW win. Um, Todd Graham won, right? Yeah. yeah, Todd Graham should not have been fired. Uh, and then Jim Mora should have been fired, but I guess there was an argument to be made he shouldn't have. And then uh, the Oregon State head coach was non-tenable as an option going forward. Right. Um, did they keep him on or no? I don't know. I actually yeah. did not look to see what happened with Corey Hall. I don't think I don't think Jonathan Smith is finalizing his staff yet. No. All right. Um, I mean, he did real, really good uh, for a couple games there, but then it just kind of fell off. Uh, CFP committee from John and Brea. Hi, Dave and Ryan. By putting Alabama in the playoff, the college football playoff committee just sent a clear message that worrying about, quote unquote, Strength of schedule is for fools, which brings me to Larry Scott. If Larry Scott had any guts, he would stand up tomorrow and say, in the light of the way the playoff committee picks the four teams, the Pac-12 is making dramatic changes So it's to its scheduling philosophy. Starting next season, we will play eight conference games. Stanford and Cal will be moving to the South Division, and Utah and Colorado will be moving to the North. USC will not play Stanford in Week 2, and we will no longer be playing games on Friday nights. Uh, the only thing that matters is minimizing the amount of losses at the end of the year. If Larry won't do it, it's time for schools to start thinking about leaving the Pac-12. Do you think Larry Scott has the guts to do something like that? Boycott the playoff this year, John and Brea. <laughs> I think John thinks USC should have been in the playoff. I uh, I don't think he thinks that, but it's just maybe I don't know. Um, I, I, yeah, and yeah, I mean if if. If Larry Scott was the kind of commissioner who cared about football more than, like, water polo, yeah, he would stand up and say something like that. But that's just not this league. I mean, it, it never really it never really has been. I mean, this league has always prioritized Olympic sports more than, you know, revenue would indicate they should. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why, like, Stanford, USC, and UCLA, and I think Cal are all, like, in the top four of all-time NCAA titles. Um, it's because they prioritize a lot of things like baseball and volleyball and gymnastics and, you know, that, that crazy Olympic sport, basketball. Like, it's because <laughs> of that stuff. Um, and, like, I, I, there's some value in that. Like, it's – it's there there, and I, I'm getting into, like, the arguing for the Pac-12 here thing, but, like – I think there's a real like re- I think there's completely justified to move to eight games over nine, but like the leaving the Pac-12 because of how you think football's going, I don't even think that's a decision USC would make. Like I, I think at USC there's enough internal um, support for all the Olympic sports that it would be a hard sell internally. And you know more about USC internally than I do, but that still seems like that would be a hard sell for even USC to decide to do that, let alone to actually leverage the Pac-12 into anything. Yeah, the the management, like the administration at USC, those people are not thinking that at all. Like now, maybe Lynn Swan has some kind of, uh, you know, ideas there. But everyone we've talked to, like, we're just saying things that they should do or threaten to do. That's I don't think USC right. would ever do that. Like the people that I talk to, like that's like the last thing on their minds. Like they wouldn't do that at all. They they don't use the power that they have is what the problem is. So, um, but yeah, that's uh, I don't know. It's interesting. What can uh, what can we do going forward? I don't know, but I but, think at eight games, like John Wilner wrote a, a good piece about why they would never do eight games, and part of the reason is like 
um, you know, you want the, the teams want to be able to come to Southern California and, and recruit and they, they wouldn't be able to play. So that's more of like a parody argument than a, but you're getting me held out of the playoff. I think they should move to an eight game. And, and I do like the idea of putting Cal and Stanford in the South and then they can all play each other. And you don't have to worry about and create weird schedules where, get, you know, get, why not get creative and do like a neutral site game for various teams in the Southern California area? Yeah. Like, where, you know, if you're on a cycle where you don't get an L.A. trip every four years, you have a neutral site scheduled with, like, you know, an Arizona team in L.A., right? Yeah. Why can't you do something like that? that I think Come that on. Would, I think that get would creative, be... morons. Can you do something? you got to be able to, to do something. I mean, some. other conferences played neutral site games in their conference schedule. I mean, Washington and Washington State occasionally play their game at the NFL stadium, don't they? Yeah, I think so. So, what? Uh, What's the deal? Just do that and go to eight games. Go go, um, go to eight. I like the I like the eight. Yeah, I mean, the you like would Ohio State and Michigan like be playing on week two? Like, <laughs> USC, the two teams that played in the championship game played each other in week two. Like that's what? Great. What the hell is that? Like that's that's ridiculous. It's great. It's great. It's what it is. Yeah. Um. All right. You ready for Scott in Washington? Uh. Yes. Uh. Ryan and Dave couple of thoughts uh one if i'm a sun devil fan i would have been underwhelmed with kevin sumlin but he looks like a merged combination of nick saban and urban meyer compared to the hiring of herm edwards uh two espn quote adding quote usc as a legit shot for the number four seed with ohio state and bama seemed forced and disingenuous agree three if kj costello is as accurate a passer as he's shown from the washington game on stanford is a legit top 10 contender next year well, they, yeah. he's got to complete more than 10 passes in a game, but yeah. I mean, they are pretty much every year. I mean, they were number 12 before that USC game, and they lost by three points. If yeah. they'd won, they would have been top 10. Yeah. Um, now for my questions. If USC only had one loss and finished 12-1, and one, would they have been in the college football playoffs over Alabama? So it's a good question. I think um, if they went undefeated in the conference and still got boat raced by Notre Dame, I think they'd still be in. Um, Ohio State had that second loss. Like they got boat raced against Iowa, uh, but if they went undefeated in the Pac-12, uh, they would have one extra, you know, top twenty-five win. So they'd have more top twenty-five wins than Alabama, and they would just have the one loss, you know, on the road. Um, even though it was a worse loss, they'd have the conference championship too. I think it was hard for a two-loss team to go ahead, but I think a one-loss team, I I think they would. Oh, hundred percent. I think, and I think either way. If they'd lost to Washington State but beaten Notre Dame, they would have been in. And if they'd lost to Notre Dame and beaten Washington State, they would have been in. Yeah. I think either way, because either way, they would have had another win over a top 25 team. Yeah. Um, and the scheduling intent with their non-conference schedule was clearly good. Uh, people were expecting Texas to be decent when USC scheduled them. Uh, Notre Dame's always decent. And Western Michigan was an undefeated team last year. So I think uh, there would have been a lot of... Uh, SC would have had a really strong argument at 12-1, and one, much more so than Ohio State with two losses, and obviously more so than Alabama, which didn't have even a division championship. And they, so, yeah. And they, like, as they stand, they have the most wins over Power 5 teams. Uh, they have 10 wins right now. They would have had 11 wins over Power 5 teams. So that's that's pretty um, that's pretty legit, I would say. That's, you know, Alabama. Yeah, and I think, I think any one-loss Pac-12 team this year would have done it. I yeah. think if Washington, you know, if Washington State had you know, not tripped up against Cal and had actually beaten Washington. And then it, I mean, 
obviously we're getting into a lot of absurd what ifs at yeah. that point. But if if Washington had beaten Arizona State and then beat USC in the title game, they would have been in. Yeah, I mean it's just luck of the uh, luck of the draw. Um, and then on a scale of one to ten, what was SC's best game they played this year, and what will they need to play to beat Ohio State? That's um, kind of two different things. On a scale of one to ten, what was the best? So the best game they played was the first time they played Stanford uh, in week yeah. two. They had 600 yards of offense. and uh, I mean, they had 500 yards in the championship game. Um, but, yeah, I think that Stanford game, I don't know what the scale is for, but the, the second week of the season, that's where they played their best. And they really didn't match it. They played Arizona State well, but the rest of this, the, the rest of it was kind of like, you know, they really didn't cover the spread. The, I think oh, the rest of the oh time, I know what the scale is. So how close is that to their peak? So if a 10 is SC playing at their absolute optimum best, okay, and one is them playing at, like, you know, the level they played against Notre Dame. What is, uh, what was it against Stanford in that game? Probably like nine or something. I mean, offensively, it was like ridiculous. Uh, they, you know, they still gave up like 160 yards to, to love, but yeah, I'd probably say eight and a half, nine, something like that. And then for, for Ohio State, I think you could play similar to that. I mean, but they're a wild, they, they're a swing, you know, a team that can have wild swings too. So if you get your best Ohio State, you're pretty much going to have to play your best, I would say, but to even have a chance. But you could get like a five Ohio State too, you know, and like a six USC could probably beat them. But just, I think it just really depends. And is Ohio State going to be, you know, they really thought they were going to make the playoff. Is this a kind of, you know, we've seen Alabama. I think the Alabama, when they lost to Bob Stoops in Oklahoma a few years ago, like when they didn't make the championship game or whatever, they just didn't even like show up to the bowl game. I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, there's all these things that can happen, and it's a bowl game, so it's like a month later. So you take a month off and then do it again. Which the bowls are always weird in that way too. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I think if Ohio State plays their best game, it'll be hard for SC to win because that defensive line, if it comes to play, uh, is going to eat up that SC def- uh, offensive line. But Ohio State hasn't really fired on all cylinders all that often this year. Um, so I think it'll be a competitive game. Their offense is just so much of just, you know, JT Barrett, JT Barrett run. and he runs, you know, it's just like you just run all the time. So, but I mean, that's yep. hard to stop too. Yep. All right. And then uh, finally with the early signing period and all the coaching craziest this year, is this the new norm? Will teams be quicker to fire and now hire to try and keep the recruits? So they sign in December. You know, I was thinking about that recently. I think it is uh, maybe teams will adjust to it a little bit more, but it does seem like they're making hiring decisions a lot quicker than is typical. I remember, I mean, there was a, I can remember coaching searches that have stretched into January before Yeah, and that's just not happening anymore. No. And I, I think, no one knew like what what's going to happen with the early signing period. I think people had theories, but you didn't really know. But now you're hearing it come up a lot with these searches. So I think we'll know a lot more after signing, like the regular signing day. You can look back and go, wow, that that's effed up or whatever. <laughs> like We should have got that kid or this is blah, 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 blah. But well, because we did this to the coach and um, I think there's, you know, I think it'll change after this year. People will kind of figure out like, where are the holes in this? What could go wrong? What could go well? Um, and for, you know, for a different program, if it's a program like, a, you know, Florida State or Ohio State, do they really want to sign guys early? Or are they losing guys that they could have picked up late? And, you know, I think it's, there's a lot that could be happening. Oh, for sure. And then he says, happy holidays to you and your families. And thanks for the great season of covering Pac-12 football. Go dogs. Thank, Thank you. you, Scott. And happy holidays to you and yours as well. Yes. All right. You want to get our last question? Yeah. Last one is from Zach. 
Hey, Ryan and Dave.、Uh, I'll start by congratulating、uh, Dollar Sign UC on their first conference championship in the last 10 years. Very elite. On to my questions. <laughs> 11 national championships, Zach. Like, I don't know. What you, like, is that what you want? They have, like, they've won the Rose Bowl more times than anyone's ever been. So, there's, I think there's an eliteness there.、Um, It's pretty solid burn. Okay. <laughs> there are bad hires, and then there's Herm Edwards.、Uh, I get this is only sports, but I feel like Ray Anderson has committed a criminal act of. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Sorry about that. A criminal act of violence against the Sun Devil fan base. Devils. I don't like devils.、Uh, have you heard a single college football person or anyone not collecting a paycheck from ASU saying anything other than this hire is a complete disaster? They put together a press release, and at the bottom of the press release was all the guys talking about it. And I recognized, like, of like, the 12 names on it, I recognized like, four of them and what they do in college football right now. And like, one was Adam Schefter, who's just a shill. Yes.、Uh, One was Rudy Car- Carpenter, who's, you know, he's a former ASU quarterback who's、yeah. not going to say anything mean about the program. <laughs> and then there were like two others I recognized, and then a bunch that I was like, I have, I have no idea who this person was. It was like reading,、um, you know, when you see like a, a bad movies poster with like the review, like, oh, breathtaking action.、Yes. And then you see it's from like KCBS Detroit、uh, <laughs> afternoon morning show. Blah, blah, blah. Like, that's what this felt like. Like, they were just trying to scramble to find as many people positively talking about this hire as possible. So, in long story short, I have heard nobody credible praise this hire. Same thing、uh, for me, Zach. And I, I need to, to reach out like, to some of my you know, major media friends, like the guys that are big in college football. I haven't really talked to them about this. We've mostly been talking like Tennessee and all this other crap that's been going on. But I need to, like, I just kind of assumed that they felt the same way, but I'll, I'll try to put some more feelers out too. But I, I haven't heard anything positive either. So、um, he said, okay, so there was that. He said, if Sark wasn't drunk or Hayden, or Hayden had been more patient with Kiffin, where would、uh, SUC, dollar sign UC, be right now?、Um, I mean, Sark, I, I don't think either of those hires were good and they were like, Nepo- just, just hiring people you know. It's not as bad as like hiring Herm Edwards, like your former client, but that's basically what USC was doing. Like, hey, we know that guy. Let's hire him. Not like doing a real search and, and trying to get someone、uh, credible. I think you're seeing with Clay Helton right now, as long as USC has someone competent, like a lot of people think Clay Helton's not a very good coach. They won the Rose Bowl last year and the Pac 12 this year. Like, just by being decent at USC, you can. Do some good things. That just shows you how bad Sark and Kiffin were at the time. I think Kiffin now is a better coach.、Um, I think, you know, he could go to Tennessee and do well. I think he's, he's learned a lot. He probably needs someone close by that kind of tell him no for certain things.、Um, don't let him get too crazy because he's kind of always on that edge. But I think Kiffin can be, can be a really good coach. He got so many good jobs when he was young and kind of screwed things up and stuff, but he's still young and, I think he's learned and he learned from Saban. He learned from, you know, he's fallen up to all these great jobs. So I think he's a、uh, good Sark. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that's just who he is. But I think Kiffin has the, the most potential of those two. I don't know what you think, Dave.、Um, I think Kiffin's still a charlatan. I think he's riding on,、yes! um, I think he's riding on Kendall Bryles, uh, uh, really seedy、uh, coat strings. What's the phrase? 
Coattails? I don't know. Coattails? Um, but uh, Coattails, thank yeah. you. Man, it's two hours into this thing and my <laughs> words are failing me. Um, I still think he's a joke, a complete joke of a coach. Wow, um, okay. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't think he's going to ever work out as a head coach of a big-time program. I think if he stayed at Florida Atlantic for longer than two years, uh, the the warts would start to show there as well. Um, I mean, it was a huge turnaround, though. Like, they, I mean, what were they, undefeated in the conference? Like, they were, like, 3-9 and nine last year or something? Yeah, I mean, and, and you can thank Kendall Bryles bringing that Baylor offense to Florida Atlantic. Okay. I mean, they're like, when has Kiffin ever been an up-tempo offensive coach? In his yeah. career, like super up tempo, and they're like second or fourth or something in the top five in tempo this year. It's it's just the Baylor system. Okay, um, that's fair. So I I think Kiffin is uh, is is like I think he's a, a average coach, um, and he's always going to be talked about for bigger jobs because he's got a legacy of you know being Monty Kiffin's son, and he was at USC when he was like twenty seven years old and all that stuff. But no. Um, Sark, I actually always thought had a little bit more potential as a coach because he always seemed a little bit more serious minded. Obviously, he has um, some personal hats. Yeah. Ho- hopefully, as hopefully it's well in the past for him, but had some personal issues. Um, but I could see him actually coming back to college at some point if he ever feels that itch again. But reportedly, he's pretty happy in the NFL, even though he's not doing a great job. <laughs> um, so we'll see. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think those two guys are they're they're guys who who built a, a reputation for for not seemingly not a whole lot when they were very young. Yeah, he said, okay, if you had to buy stock in and short one Pac-12 program for the next five years, who are you picking? So if you don't know short, so shorting is basically you're betting that it's going to go down. So you're if you're shorting a stock, you're selling it today, and then later on you pick the day to buy it. So if it goes up. You're buying it higher than what you bought than than what you sold it as. If it goes down, then you get to buy it, and you've already sold it at a higher price. So, basically, you'd want to pick something low to buy your stock with, and something high that you think will go down to short your stock with. So, uh, Washington State for the short, right? Uh, interesting, because they're pretty high right now. Will they stay that way? Okay, I I would go with that. I would short uh, Washington State, and we buy UCLA because of Chip Kelly. It might be inflated uh, price already. I think, though, it might, because, I think it might have already inflated quite yeah. a bit, right? Like you would have had to buy UCLA before Chip Kelly got there, but yeah. you could still do it. I mean, you could still. Could, but I, was it four and eight to this year to six and six, right? Six or, and six, yeah. So it's it you know so it's like that. There's still upside there. You could buy that. Is there someone? Oregon is another one. Yeah, Oregon. I think you could, but if Taggart leaves, then you could be like really you're, it could crash i don't know but you're still set up for success next year because justin herbert's really good yeah now we have arizona at eight and you got you're gonna get khalil tate at least for one more year probably two but did defenses start to figure him out towards the end of the year yeah um so it's obvious we're gonna buy stock in asu <laughs> Well, we have them at six. Actually, so we actually, short we them. should short ASU. Yeah, like even if there was like a penny stock, you could short it because you feel it's going to go negative. Like it's so bad right now. Yeah. Okay. So we're shorting ASU, and yeah, let's buy UCLA. Okay. No, I'm going to. Sh- okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to short Washington State. I'm going to uh, buy. Uh, I'm going to buy calls on UCLA. I think it's going to go up kind of quickly, and we'll just take a quick profit there. I'll buy long term Arizona. And I'm going to buy puts, which are like shorting 
this is like stock stuff, shorting like for options, options for shorting. So they're like super risky for Arizona State because you know it's just going to plummet like right away and you're going to make a profit. I love it. I love it. That's our investment strategy. <laughs> Uh, okay. And then, so we had one more thing, Ryan, if dollar sign, UC decides to follow your suggestion and dollar sign, UC exit. So suck exit or suck exit, suck exit. What would that look like? Would the PAC 12 kick out all the other non football sports and forbid the remaining teams from scheduling, uh, suck in football. I can't imagine the conference just agreeing to part as friends. Uh, no, I would think you would keep the other. It would just be like a football thing. Is that like the ideal thing? Like you let the other sports do that stuff. And my theory would be that if you had to do something like that, the other schools would still want to play you in football because they do want to still come to uh, Los Angeles for recruiting purposes and stuff. So I, you know, would it be like a, a butthurt thing or like no, we don't want everyone having to do with USC again because you left us? Um, I don't know. I. BYU still plays other, you know, they went independent. They still play other Mountain West schools. They, they weren't happy that they left. Uh, so I would think that was how you would want it to work, but who knows how that, you know, would end up working. Yeah, and I, I, I can't imagine that other schools would be super happy about being forbidden from scheduling USC. So I, I don't, I think it'd be a non-starter in this weird scenario where SC actually does leave um, because I don't think the Pac-12 could enforce any kind of prohibition on scheduling USC. Yeah, you would think that they would still play UCLA and Stanford and Cal. Yeah, and I mean, like, UCLA is not going to stop playing USC, and I don't think Stanford and Cal are going to do be interested in doing that. And I mean, frankly, the Washington schools aren't going to want just one trip to LA every couple of years. Yeah. They'll want to try to come twice. So yeah, it would, it would all be like they're like Dave said, they're not going to have the same kind of independent like following that uh, Notre Dame has. But if you can get a good TV contract where you make significantly more than the share you're getting with the Pac-12. And that's like four or five of your games. Like you get USC, UCLA and Notre Dame and Washington and you get like a play of Florida State or something. And, you know, it's on Fox or NBC or whatever it is. And you get a lot of money for those games. It's like, okay, you're, you're already better off that way. So I think you could make it work financially without being the same kind of national brand as like a Notre Dame. Sure. But sure. That's all the theory stuff. That, like I said, USC, like the people, at least the, the, the powers that be there now would not do it. So... You're, if you're worried about that, no. There'll just be some rant that I go on that I like to do. <laughs> and, and like I said, if they threaten something like that, if they get the balls and do something like that, it would help the whole conference, like not leaving, but making things like, hey, we're going to change this and make it better. Yep. Agree with that. Okay. What did we do? Well, two hours and uh, 13 minutes. Oh, a light show. Yeah. We had one game to talk about. How do we go this long? Oh, man. We can't be trusted, <laughs> but it was good. We, you know, we had to go through every school, so we'll uh, we'll try some previews. We'd love to get uh, maybe some of the teams. We can get either voicemails or get an a interview with some of the uh, scout or two four seven publishers that you know, with the coaching changes stuff to kind of get their thoughts. We could talk to Angie or Chris Cartman, um, you know, see what's going on. So we'll we'll try to plan some cool stuff for you guys in this coming coming week and. Uh, First bowl game's coming up soon, like two weeks away. Two weeks away. A week week and five days, really. Wow. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's Oregon, right? So we'll have to talk. And who knows, with Taggart stuff. Like, that would suck, like, leaving, like, a week before the bowl game. Yeah. Man. Uh, all right. Well, uh, that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Maybe you love us. Maybe you hate us. 
but hope you listened. If you're listening right now, you probably don't hate us if you're listening at this point, I would guess, right? Man, if they do, think about the level of hate they must feel. <laughs> it's got to be pretty deep. But, hey, go on to iTunes. Leave us positive feedback, please. Leave us a five-star rating, despite what Dave was saying when he said tweeted something about we had 69 people rating us. But do that. You know, Tell your friends. Let them know. Tweet out how stupid we are or good we are, whatever you want. Uh, but thanks so much uh, for tuning in. We appreciate it, and we will talk to you next time.